Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. After this rally in Florida tonight, the president heads off to Pennsylvania for yet another rally tomorrow. And then later on in the week, Iowa and North Carolina. Pennsylvania is obviously a critical battleground state, but Iowa and North Carolina are really states that should be in the bag for President Trump right now. That's an indication as to how much trouble he's in politically right now, Wolf. And as this crowd is chanting that there are members of the press here who suck, I should also point out, Wolf, what also sucks, getting the coronavirus. Well, yeah, that would be uh, yeah, really, really uh, awful over the weekend. The president said the uh, coronavirus was disappearing. Uh, clearly, it's not disappearing. It's getting a whole lot worse. Sorry, Jim Acosta. Thanks very much. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 13th of October, year of our Lord, 2020. And that, of course, is that piece of fucking shit, Jim Acosta. I couldn't think of a better way to start a podcast than with Jim Acosta not being a journalist because why would we be a journalist? I mean, nothing that we're doing right now is considered journalism. It is all team Biden. Go team Biden. Go team Biden. Ah, fucking killing me. Just killing me. So that's why I started out today. Today also for, uh, general purposes we're going to try to record at a lower level and then come in and up the gain uh that's our technique today because i noticed once again there is a lot of cracks again Uh, i don't know what's happening i don't understand what's going on uh other than maybe the mic is shot and i just don't know it i had it checked and it it seems to be just fine. I mean, I used it on my laptop and it was good. Um, it, it's something about this setup that it just doesn't like. Um, so we're going to go with the lower gain and then raise it up. That's the plan. So let's get into today's podcast. Uh, the media sucks assholes is a common theme, but we're going to do uh, a little bit of Barrett today up front. Um, some violence and uh, narrative. You know, that's kind of what we're doing. But before we get into it, I wanted to cover some interesting concepts. Um, poll. The shy Trump vote is bigger this year, and who falls in this category should terrify Dems. You know, one of the things that is a whole article, I'm not going to read it, but one of the things that's very interesting is this year, uh, they are showing a wider margin in every poll. But yet, if you go out in the street, once again, I know this isn't scientific, you don't see Biden's signs. When you see Biden events, there's nobody there. Yet Trump had rallies everywhere. We're going to play sound bites from Miami and Los Angeles. I mean, it's just fucking insane. And I, I don't understand. But when you break down that shy voter, the simple fact that people will not say they're voting for Trump because if they do, 
invariably they get docked, they lose their lives, they fucking lose their house, they lose their jobs. I mean, there's all sorts of negative that's entailed with saying, I'm going to vote for Trump. And even though they say it's scientific, you're going through all these people, but it's always inlaid Democrat. The media is under the impression there are more Democrats than there are Republicans in our country. Because that's all they see. They live in bubbles. So, of course, around them is just Democrats. So that's all they ever, ever see. Um, other article. Must read thread of actual numbers versus polling in 2016 to compare to 2020. Abigail Marone. Beware this thread terrifying journos and Democrats. RCP average 10, 10, 16. Clinton 8.6. Actual 0.7. RCP average 2020. 7.1. October 10th, 2016 versus October 10th, 2020. RCP average in 16 was 6.8. Actual 0.8. Biden is 5.5 now. You don't see the averages because you're just seeing CNN, Fox, MSNBC. Everybody's just running their high ones. Pennsylvania. The RCP average was 8.6. The actual was 0.7. And right now it's 7.1. Michigan, 7.7 is 16. The actual was 0.2. Trump. And the actuals, I'm saying the actual was they actually went to Trump. Now it's 6.7. Ohio, in 16, it was 2.4. It actually went to Trump at 8.3. And Biden is only... 0.6 0.6 ahead. North Carolina, Clinton was 2.4% in 16. It went to Trump at 3.7. Right now, Biden's only 1.4 ahead. And then you get a gallop that 56% of people say everything's better now under Trump. Their lives have gotten better. But Saliza. No, what he said, that Gallup poll doesn't say that Donald Trump thinks it does. Saliza didn't even argue the results of the Gallup poll. In fact, Trump's tweet of the Gallup results, which he exclaimed were the highest number on record, which on its face is true. So what's Saliza's issue? According to Saliza, it's an incredibly damning indictment of Trump personally that in a country where a majority of the people believe they're better off than they were four years ago, the incumbent president is clearly, currently losing badly in his bed for a second run. Well, how's he losing badly? He's losing badly because you're running polls that are weighted to the left. And you're doing everything that is uber bias. Bob Dole suggests commission on presidential debates is unfair and bias against Trump. The FBI is saying they're actually going to investigate the illegal hack. We all know that's not true. And then the third debate, what happened to Quilk, K. Welker at NBC account? The third debate moderator, Kristen Welker at NBC, has deactivated her Twitter account. She took it out because she's anti-Trump. And, th- and this goes back to my George Bush thing. It gets to a point where you're so negative, you forget America's about the underdog. Americans across the board, as much as the media doesn't want to admit it, are when a little kid's getting beaten up on the playground, they intercede. And after these four years, let's be honest, 
it has been piling on. I don't know a person voting for Biden. I haven't had a conversation, young or old, it doesn't matter, that people say the media is just, how they treated Trump is horrible. And I think that'll affect things. Intelligencer, a liberal rag, why it's harder than it looks for Democrats to win the Senate. But we're being told by our media, it's over. It's just over. It is a blue wave. It is so bad in our media. I got to play this as just a joke. Here's Adam Carolla. His tweet was, mainstream media treats Biden running for presidency like a -a make-a-wish kid running for a touchdown. Once again, that's what I get for not checking my fucking podcast. There's no sound. It's just a picture of a kid running. That's what it shows. And it's a make a wish where they let the kid just run to touchdown. And that's our media right now. We will not ever, 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 ever not paint the script to say that Biden's going to win. Fox poll Biden quadruples Trump and non white voters. That was their headline. But when you get down into it, it says Trump support. Biden quadruples Trump support with 80% to Trump 16%. Others I have seen 20% black. Now, to most people, you're like, well, there's no way you can win. It's it's the black vote. You, you can't win that. How are you going to win that? They need 98% to win. They can't win at 80%. They can't win at 65% of Latino. They can't win with 45% of gay people wanting to vote. They can't. And this week, this is the only journalism I can find. Meanwhile, the president's rival, Joe Biden, is now leading by 12 points nationally, according to our latest ABC News Washington Post poll. But Biden's still dodging questions on whether he'll pack the Supreme Court by adding more justices to the bench. The only court packing going on right now is going on with Republicans packing the court now. It's not constitutional what they're doing. Well, come on, Joe. The American people deserve a straight answer. Let me ask a question about Joe Biden. He keeps dodging questions about whether he would support packing the Supreme Court. We saw this in Rachel Scott's piece. Is this issue a potential liability for him? I think it is, Dan, and it's not just that he won't answer the question, it's the clumsy way in which he says he won't answer the question. Uh, He said uh, in an interview yesterday, asked directly, don't the people have a right to know? And he said, no, voters don't have a right to know where he stands on this. And he also said uh, a couple of days ago uh, that uh, he will give an answer on this after the election. So it's it's very strange. This is a, a major issue. Uh, This is not a a trivial issue, and he's saying he won't tell voters where he stands until after they have voted. I I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's very... But he said it's not constitutional what they're doing. How is it not constitutional what they're doing? His point is that the people have an opportunity to weigh in on this constitutional process through their vote. And we are now in the midst of the election. Millions of people have already cast their votes. And you see that the vast majority of people say that they want the person who wins the election on November 3rd 
to nominate the justice. That's a poll. That's seat. not the Constitution. So by by trying to by trying to that's that is their con there, there's the constitutional process of advising consent. The American people get to have their say by voting for president, by voting for senators. We are now 23 days from the election. Right, but it's not Again, unconstitutional. Millions of millions of votes, millions of votes. They're being voters are being denied their constitutional right to have a say in this process. They when elected the Republicans the Senate. are trying to ram through are trying to ram through a, a nominee who, by the way, is going to change the makeup of the court. And we see time and time again, poll after poll shows that most Americans vehemently disagree with this. Now, they again, believe again, Kate, that's that a the poll. vote should happen on November 3rd. That's not what the word constitutional that means. Cons that constitutional doesn't mean I like it or I don't like it. It means it's according to the U.S. Constitution. There's nothing unconstitutional about what the U.S. Senate is doing. Okay, I think I actually got the crack on. Um, I am so sorry, folks. I... I don't know what the hell this is. I just don't know what's going on. It's not a good podcast when you have cracks. But there's something. I don't know if it's a cord. I don't know. I just don't know, man. I'm recording at 40, way low, and then I'm bumping it. But it just, when we start a podcast, it's always cracky for like the first 10 minutes of talking. So anyway, back to the podcast. So we we have that crazy fucking bullshit where we're literally, literally, court packing and we have a whole segment on today but we have court packed and, and, and it, it's just it's amazing what democrats can get to go to the american people with the help of the media because they instantly talking point i mean it is no different than that great soundbite from tucker carlson where all of a sudden everybody reimagine because they the fun came out and they didn't want that shit Oh, no, 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 no. We can't have the fund. It's reimagine. So, going to have a lot of crazy stuff. Got to get them up front. These are the worst. Here's Joy Reid just being Joy Reid. And Katie Tour trying to show that Republicans are conspiracy theorists. There was a pretty clear consensus in this Republican pocket of liberal New York City, where 57% of the 2016 vote went for Donald Trump. But it went beyond the belief that Trump was the better candidate. Voters here told me that Joe Biden wasn't really a candidate at all. Oh, he's a puppet. He's a puppet. He's their little puppet. He's just a puppet. The belief was widely held, but it wasn't rooted in evidence. Who's controlling him? Uh, I think uh, the Clintons. AOC and all of them. Nancy Pelosi. The voters I spoke with were committed to their version of events, even when that version departed from the public record. This country is in a big mess because if the Democrats get in, God knows their supporters, most of the people supporting them are looting and burning down businesses. These guys are a bunch of thugs. You didn't hear Joe Biden condemn the violence? Well, he should have did it from the beginning. You didn't hear him do that from the beginning? There's no place for violence, no place for looting or destroying property or burning churches or destroying businesses. No, I didn't. I didn't hear anybody. And in the absence of a public record, in cases where one simply does not exist, some people were prepared to believe seemingly anything about the opposing party. There's a lot of stuff on Facebook that talks about how Democrats are running um, child trafficking rings. I believe it. You believe it? I do, because I believe a lot of the movie stars. I, I do. I believe it. I believe it. I mean, come on. Go look at Epstein's Island. Jay Van Bavel is a professor of psychology at New York University and an expert on what he calls false beliefs. 
So there's conspiracy theories across the political spectrum. This is not just an issue of the right per se. Um, one of the reasons that you're seeing it more on the right at this particular moment is because leaders and uh, elites in the party are pushing these. And so when you have an ecosystem and norms that reinforce these conspiracy theories, they're going to spread more powerfully in those uh, identity groups. Now, we are talking to Julia Ainsley uh, with NBC News and Michael Schmidt uh, with The New York Times about the shocking uh, details behind uh, the president's plan uh, to separate children uh, from their parents at the border. And, you know, Julia, there's been a lie out that, uh, well, this is something that the Obama administration did, too. They had the same policy. Uh, this brings into sharp relief uh, the fact that often the Obama administration, whenever they did have to uh, hold children, they did so to protect them uh, because, until they could actually find their parents here. This was a deliberate plan by, a Trump, by the Trump administration, the attorney general uh, aggressively uh, supporting this policy, Rod Rosenstein uh, actually condemning prosecutors uh, who expressed concern, uh, telling them they needed to move uh, full steam ahead on this program, which, of course, ended up caging children. Uh, and, of course, you have Jeff Sessions going on the Christian Broadcasting Network, uh, after this controversy erupted mm -hmm. and actually lying on the Christian Broadcasting Network uh, saying that he did not support this policy when, in fact, we find out the only person who opposed it at the time was Kirsten Nielsen. That's right, Joe, and I hope you can hear me better now. One thing that this makes mm -hmm. abundantly clear in this report, this draft report that we've also obtained, is that this was a different policy. This was not what happened under the Obama administration. What Physicians for Human Rights now calls the torture of 5,500 um, people, according to the UN definition, um, was exactly what was playing out, and uh, that what we were told at the time um, were lies, and they knew exactly what that they uh, what they were doing. Jeff Sessions, Rod Rosenstein, uh, in particular, Rod Rosenstein. You know, I'm sorry to say, a hero to many uh, in the resistance. Yeah. Um, the reality of the situation is just like we saw, and I reported in my book within the Department of Homeland Security, uh, just like we saw within the Department of Health and Human Services. Career officials stood up and tried to stop this from happening. At the very least, they raised objections about this, uh, and. Trump-appointed political officials pushed it through, and it's the same exact story in the Department of Justice, and that's what this draft Inspector General report reveals. And, and is it was it just for punishment? Did they just see this as punishment and deterrence? We'll just punish these families by taking their kids, and then more people will know that that's what America does, and they won't send their, they won't come here. That's what this report makes crystal clear, but I don't think that that was a surprise to any of us who were yep. there at the time. Manuel Padilla, the chief of the Border Patrol, said as much to me at the height of the policy. And Sergio, um, um, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. We are no longer part, the United States is no longer part of the UN Human Rights Council. The Trump administration pulled us out of it in 2018. So we're not a part of that. Um, the US is also not a part of the International Criminal Court. However, this is tor considered torture, um, taking breastfeeding children away from their moms, um, separating families in this way. And all I could think of when we were preparing for this segment today, talking to my producers, is whether or not these are, war these are considered cr international crimes, meaning should members of this administration come up before The Hague for what they've done? Jeff Sessions, um, the, the former um, you know, DHS head, all of them. Should they be, and Donald Trump maybe? Yep. There's no question that these are human rights abuses. 
And I think long after Donald Trump and Mike Pence leave the White House, and that will be in November, this is going to be one of the darkest chapters in American history. The fact that small children, infants, were ripped away from their mother's arms and that these children were put in cages without their parents, with poor treatment, is something that this country and that we all are going to have to deal with and reconcile for a long time. And so to answer your question, I absolutely believe that these are crimes against humanity. And my previous boss, who's gonna be on the debate stage tonight, Senator Kamala Harris, I worked with her on this issue. She routinely referred to this as a human rights abuse. Is there an international body that could even have the capability. I mean, I remember during the George W. Bush administration when there was a lot of talk of whether it should be much more difficult for Dick Cheney um, to travel, in particular, or other members of the administration to travel overseas because of the torture of Iraqis um, and that there was some sanction to make it real hard to travel. In your view, do you think this is something that should happen to the people who did this to these children and these parents? Yes. Democrats saying that Republicans are conspiracy theorists are saying, it's like me saying I like pie. I'm a fat guy. Of course I like fucking pie. Of course there's some conspiracy theories on the fucking right. But nobody even gets close to what the Democrats have been doing for the last four fucking years. I mean, let's just say the the number one. Trump worked for Putin. All evidence shows that Obama and company did. And then you have just the hate. And once again, if they're winning, this is a done deal. I understand that this kind of stuff would happen after the election. But if they're winning so much, why in the fuck are Frieden and Oberman like this? Here's something you're not hearing on Fox. Trump didn't win the Nobel Peace Prize today. wonder why. Maybe it was failing to call out domestic terror like the 13 suspects who may have been acting on his insurrection calls to liberate Michigan. They were all charged in a kidnapping plot against Michigan's governor and trying to overthrow government. Not very PC. Trump wasn't nominated for any do-gooding in this country because he's too busy dividing and inflaming. I wonder if that impressed the judges. Oh, by the way, he was nominated by this far-right Norwegian lawmaker who put his name in for working on the UAE-Israel peace deal. And there was a Swedish parliament member who nominated him for helping secure an economic deal between Serbia and Kosovo. The World Food Program, for its efforts to combat hunger, they won. And by the way, we may need them here soon, as an ever-increasing number are waiting in line for food in America. And an economy that this president calls the greatest of all time, despite the worst unemployment rate since the 1940s. Maybe Trump would win a prize for peace if he didn't empower hate. Maybe he would be called peaceful if he didn't call the quest for social justice racist and call Black Lives Matter a symbol of hate. Maybe if he fought domestic terror instead of encouraging it, people would see him as peaceful. Maybe he'd win a peace prize if he didn't threaten that he might not peacefully leave the White House if he loses. Maybe he'd win one if he didn't berate his cabinet members for not prosecuting political enemies. Peace would be a much better fit if he were about peace and not hate.
I wish you all peace this weekend. The best blessings for your head and hearts and your families. Thank you for watching CNN tonight with the man D Lemon. Right <laughs> that now. is a tall order that you're asking. Come on, really? <laughs> Stop <laughs> asking people to overthrow the Trump can be and must be expunged. The hate he has triggered, the Pandora's box he has opened, they will not be so easily destroyed. So, let us brace ourselves. The task is twofold. The terrorist Trump must be defeated, must be destroyed, must be devoured at the ballot box. And then he and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators and the Mike Lees and the William Barrs and the Sean Hannity's and the Mike Pence's and the Rudy Giuliani's and the Kyle Rittenhouse's and the Amy Coney Barrett's must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society while we try to rebuild it and to rebuild the world Trump has nearly destroyed by turning it over to a virus. Remember it, even as we dream of a return to reality and safety and the country for which our forefathers died, that the fight is not just to win an election, but to win it by enough to chase, at least for a moment, Trump and the maggots off the stage and then try to clean up what they left. Remember it, even though to remember it, means remembering that the fight does not end November 3rd, but in many ways will only begin that day. We all know this. We all fear this. So many of us refuse to say this aloud. Negligently or intentionally, the President of the United States is a mass murderer. The President of the United States is the leading cause of death in this country. The President of the United States has also destroyed this economy. The President of the United States is also again working with Russia to alter the election. The President of the United States is intending to nullify the election. The President of the United States is, for all intents and purposes, a terrorist. He has, in the six long years since his declaration of candidacy, accomplished more material, more practical, more long-lasting damage to this country and what it stands for than Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda and ISIS and all the rest could ever have dreamed of combined. He has allowed the deadly invasion of this country in the form of a disease that could have been checked and contained and would have killed some of us, but not 211,000, not more than were killed in Vietnam, Korea, and Iraq combined. He has encouraged white nationalist terrorism, defended it, made up excuses for it, signaled to it, endorsed its vermin leaders, echoed its revolting tenets, gone out and risked the lives of Secret Service agents to wave to it, provided a definition of stochastic terrorism, of terrorism by inspiration and by proxy, of encouraging the terror but having others actually do it. He has supported the white national terror groups, the Nazis, subtly. And he has supported them overtly in the debate. He wrote their new motto for them. I mean, really think about that, folks. Think how they fucking are acting. It's like they know something ain't right. They know it's not right. And then before we go into the ACB hearing, and today there won't be music. There'll be some monologues. Uh, uh, Greg Gutfeld's monologue was fantastic. After we get done with the... Uh, ACB and go to our first break. It'll be Tucker Carlson because his was really good. But I saw this and the media was taking this around like this was great shit. So here's Barbie 
talking about systemic racism. And then we'll start our ACB with some handmaids. And probably the worst thing a Supreme Court justice can say in our new world. She talked about God. Can't have that. Hey, everybody. Hey, everyone. So there is a huge movement going on. People, millions of people across the world are standing up to fight against racism. And they're doing this because too often and for such a long time, people have been treated unfairly. And in some cases, even hurt by others because of the color of their skin. This stuff isn't easy to talk about, which is exactly why we have to talk about it. It's a tough conversation, but I'm glad we're having it. People might think that my life looks fine, but the truth is I and so many other black people have to deal with racism all the time. It's really hurtful and it can be scary and sad. And I wanted to share some stories about that today. Barbie and I had a sticker selling contest on the beach last month. We split up and went different directions to see who could sell the most. Well, while I was on the boardwalk, beach security stopped me three times. What? They asked me all these questions over and over, and they even called my mom. (gasps) I never told you, but that's why I sold a few stickers that day. The security officers thought I was doing something bad, even though I was doing exactly what you were doing. And remember when we were going to join that French honor club at school? Mm -hmm. Well, I made a perfect score on the entrance test, but when the teacher, who didn't know me at all, gave me my results, he told me I only did well because I got lucky. He said he knew I couldn't speak French that well. What? You speak French better than all of us. Why didn't you just stay in the club and prove him wrong? I don't want to have to constantly prove and reprove myself. He supported you right from the beginning and didn't support me. Usually when I talk about these things, people make excuses. They say things like, oh, well, maybe you should have had a permit for selling on the beach. But those are just excuses. People did these things to me because I was black and they made the wrong assumptions about me. And they don't make those assumptions about white people like me. And that's not fair because that means that white people get an advantage that they didn't earn and black people get a disadvantage that they don't deserve. Exactly. It's really serious. Some people even get hurt when others think the wrong things about them. That's exactly why people are marching. Because when enough of us stand together, people pay attention. Right. Because when we don't say anything, We're just letting it continue. Well, you listening and being supportive, that's helpful. It's important to keep reading and learning more about Black history. And if someone is being treated unfairly, stand up for that person. If we all work together, we can make a big difference. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with me today. With us. Yeah, it's not easy, but it's necessary. Congratulations, Jesse Barrett. Congratulations. Um, I just want to say, Senator Klobuchar said a number of things about COVID that I agree with. Uh, She cited a bunch of really painful stories in Minnesota, and similar stories could be told from across the country. I even agree with parts of her criticism of the mismanagement of COVID by Washington, D.C., I don't know what any of that has to do with what we're here to do today. Um, Huge parts of what we're doing in this hearing would be really confusing to eighth graders. Uh, If civics classes across the country tuned into this hearing and tried to figure out what we're here to do, 
and they heard as much as they've heard about 2009 finance committee debates about what should be in a health care reform package. Uh, I, I'm blessed to have sit not just on the Judiciary Committee, uh, but also on the Finance Committee. And lots of the discussions we've had in here today fit better in a Finance Committee hearing than in a Judiciary Committee hearing. Uh, so I think it would be very useful for us to pause and remind ourselves and do some of our civic duty to eighth graders uh, to help them realize what a president runs for, what a senator runs for, and on the other hand, why Judge Barrett is sitting before us today and what the job is that you're being evaluated for. So if, if we can back up and do a little bit of uh, eighth grade civics, I think it would benefit us and benefit uh, the watching country and especially watching eighth grade civics classes. So I'd like to um, distinguish first. As a final note, Mr. Chairman, I would like to thank the many Americans from all walks of life who have reached out with messages of support over the course of my nomination. I believe in the power of prayer, and it has been uplifting to hear that so many people are praying for me. I look forward to answering the committee's questions over the coming days. And if I am fortunate enough to be confirmed, I pledge to faithfully and impartially discharge my duties to the American people as an associate justice of the Supreme Court. Now, before we get into it, I want to play Chuck Todd because Chuck Todd, you know, he's the political guy for NBC and he's always talking off his nose to everybody. And he just says the whole religious thing is a red herring. And I'll back him up with uh, Josh Hockley pretty much saying he's a lying piece of shit. And I know you're talking about, and Garrett was talking about the straw men uh, arguments that Republicans are making, including about this religious test that they say Democrats are wanting to impose. The Biden campaign likes to remind, as Senator Kamala Harris did during the vice presidential debate, Joe Biden, if he's elected, would be the second Catholic uh, president of the United States in American history. And so they think they can brush that uh, argument away pretty quickly, Chuck. Mike Memoli on the road there. Mike, thanks very much. Ari Melber, you think about these larger questions about the law quite a bit. And and th- I, there's a part of me that's listening to the Republicans there and the, creating the straw man on the religious argument. Uh, and some of it, I feel like it's being done out of fear. What are they afraid of on this? Are they afraid of this spotlight, too? Um, it's almost as if they're saying, hey, this is happening. It's not happening. But there seems to be some... You, you create a barrier because you're worried about people walking into that barrier. What are they afraid of here? I'm experiencing this hearing and I'm struggling whether I respond or launch into this question as a legislator or from the perspective of a woman of faith. Because I cannot, it's, it's very difficult to sit here and listen to arguments in the long history of this country of using scripture and weaponizing and abusing scripture to justify bigotry. White supremacists have done it. Those who justified slavery did it. Those who fought against integration did it. And we're seeing it today. And sometimes, especially in this body, I feel as though if Christ himself walked through these doors and said what he said thousands of years ago, that we should love our neighbor and our enemy, 
that we should welcome the stranger, fight for the least of us, that it is easier for a rich man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into a kingdom of heaven. He would be maligned as a radical and rejected from these doors. And I know, and it is part of my faith, that all people are holy and all people are sacred unconditionally. And that is what makes faith sometimes, that's what what prompts us to transform because it is unconditional. It's not about that it is up to us to love parts of people. We love all people. There is nothing holy about rejecting medical care of people, no matter who they are on the grounds of what their identity is. There is nothing holy about turning someone away from a hospital. There's nothing holy about about rejecting a child from a family. There's nothing holy about writing discrimination into the law. And I am tired of communities of being of faith being weaponized and being mischaracterized because the only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. I'm tired of it. My faith commands me to treat Mr. Minton as holy because he is sacred, because his life is sacred, because you are not to be denied anything that I am, that I am entitled to that we are equal in the eyes of the law and we are equal in my faith in the eyes of the world. And so I just have to get that out ahead of time because it is deeply disturbing, not just what is happening here, but what this administration is advancing is the idea that religion and faith is about exclusion. It is not up to us. It is not up to us to deny medical care. It is up to us to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, to protect children, and to love all people as ourselves. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Judge Barrett, welcome. It's good to see you again. Jesse Barrett, welcome. And to you and to your family as well. I see that uh, some of your children are uh, getting a break. They've earned it, I think. I'm amazed as I've been watching. Uh, I've got two little boys at home, my wife and I do. I can't believe how uh, calmly uh, your children have been sitting for a couple of hours. So maybe you can give me some tips, uh, Jesse and Judge, uh, when we're finished here. You know, we've gotten to read a lot about uh, your family in the last few weeks. We've gotten to read a lot about you in, in the press, and in particular about your religious beliefs. One attack after another in the liberal media, one hit piece after another, many of them echoed by members of this committee, like this one, for instance, Barrett Long Active with Insular Christian Group. We've read, we've read stories about your Catholic lifestyle, stories about how you raise your children, stories about how you adopted your children, stories about your Catholic doctrinal beliefs over and over and over questioning whether you have, I guess, the independence to be a judge, a justice on the United States Supreme Court. And it's not just in the newspapers, it's members of this committee. 
including the Democratic nominee for Vice President of the United States, who has questioned past nominees who have come before this committee about their membership in Catholic fraternal organizations like the Knights of Columbus. And for those watching at home, that's right, you heard me correctly, Senator Harris and others on this committee have repeatedly questioned judicial nominees' fitness for office because of their membership in the Knights of Columbus. The ranking member, when you were last before this committee, Judge, for your initial confirmation hearings, the ranking member referred to your Catholic convictions as dogma, that's a quote, that lives loudly within you, picking up the very terminology of anti-Catholic bigotry current in this country a century ago. She wasn't alone. Other senators on this committee last time asked you if you were an Orthodox Catholic one senator said she worried that you would be a Catholic judge if you were confirmed because of your religious beliefs. I guess as opposed to an American judge, as if you can't be both a devout Catholic and a loyal American citizen. And it's not just you, Judge. Other nominees who have come before this committee for years now have been asked by my Democrat colleagues over and over their views on sin, their views on the afterlife, their views about their membership statements of Catholic organizations, about their membership in other Christian organizations, and on and on and on. And let's be clear about what this is. This is an attempt to broach a new frontier, to set up a new standard. Actually, it's an attempt to bring back an old standard that the Constitution of the United States explicitly forbids. I'm talking about a religious test for office. Article 6 of the Constitution of the United States, before we even get to the Bill of Rights, Article 6 of the Constitution of the United States says clearly, and I quote, no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Now that was big news in 1787 when it was written, and it's worth remembering why. It's because no country, no republic in the history of the world had ever guaranteed to its citizens the right to freedom of conscience and religious liberty. Every other country that had ever existed tied together the religious beliefs that would be approved by the powerful and the right to serve in office or to vote or just to be a citizen. In every other country across history, you had to agree with what those in power agreed with in order to hold office or be a citizen in good standing. You had to sign a particular religious confession or you had to disavow a particular religious group, swear not to follow the Pope, for instance. You had to pledge allegiance to the God of the city or the God of the empire. This was true from 18th century Britain all the way back to ancient Rome. And so when our founders put Article 6 into the Constitution of the United States, they were making a very deliberate choice. They were breaking with all of that past history and they were saying in America it would be different. In the United States of America, we would not allow the ruling class to have veto power over your faith, over what Americans believed, over who we gathered with to worship and why and where and how. No, in this country, the people of the United States would be free to follow their own religious convictions, free to worship, free to exercise their religion, and people of faith would be welcome in the public sphere. They'd be welcome there. They'd be welcome without having to get the approval of those in power, like those on this committee. They would be welcome to come and to bring their religious beliefs to bear on their lives, on their office, and all that they do. 
so long, of course, as they were peaceful citizens who followed the law, religious people of all backgrounds would be welcome in public life. And no person in power would be able to control what the American people, any American citizen, thought or believed or who they worshipped. This freedom of conscience and religious liberty undergirds all of our other rights because it tells the government that it cannot tell us what to think or who we can assemble with or how we can worship or what we can say. And that's why Article 6 is there even before we get to the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment. But this bedrock principle of American liberty is now under attack. That is what is at stake when we read these stories attacking Judge Barrett for her faith. That is what is at stake when my Democratic colleagues repeatedly question Judge Barrett and many other judicial nominees about their religious beliefs, about their religious membership, about their religious practices, about their family beliefs and practices. That is an attempt to bring back the days of the religious test. That is an attempt to bring back the veto power of the powerful over the religious beliefs and sincerely held convictions of the American people. And that is what is at stake in this confirmation hearing. Judge Barrett is a Catholic. We all know that. She's a devout Catholic. We all know that. She and her husband have chosen to raise their family according to their Catholic beliefs in faithful fellowship with other Catholics. We all know that. Heck, 65 million Americans are Catholics, and many, many, million, many, many millions more are Christians of other persuasions. Are they to be told that they cannot serve in public office, that they are not welcome in the public sphere unless the members of this committee sign off on their religious beliefs? I, for one, do not want to live in such an America, and the Constitution of the United States flatly prohibits it. Now, the Constitution says... The people of faith, like Judge Barrett, are welcome in high office, welcome in any office, welcome throughout our public life here in this country. And I would just say to my Democrat colleagues that these years now, this pattern and practice, as we say in the law, this pattern and practice of religious bigotry, because that's what it is. When you tell somebody that they're too Catholic to be on the bench, when you tell them they're going to be a Catholic judge, not an American judge, that's bigotry. The pattern and practice of bigotry from members of this committee must stop. And I would expect that it be renounced. Now, I just heard my colleague, Senator Coons, make a reference to an old case, the Griswold case, which I can only assume is another hit at Judge Barrett's religious faith, referring to Catholic doctrinal beliefs. I don't know what else it could be, since no one has challenged this case. It is not a live issue and hasn't been for decades. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about, and this is the sort of attacks that must stop. I look forward, Judge Barrett, to getting to the chance to speak with you further about your legal credentials, about your legal views, about your approach to the law and your judicial philosophy. But I hope that one thing that this confirmation process will stand for in the end, I hope when we look back at the confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Barrett, soon I hope to be Justice Amy Barrett, one thing we will say is that was the time, that was the year that the attempt to bring back religious tests for office was finally stopped. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I mean, we have a big thing in our society that pretty much says um, men shouldn't talk about women's issues. 
You know, you you should just shut the fuck up because you're a man and men are fucking bad. All right. That's that's just what we say. We say it all the time. Democrats should never talk about religion. You fucking hate religion. Uh, Chuck Todd is just saying that because he's trying to cover for Dems because that's what his whole fucking show is about now when it used to be holding both parties accountable. I mean, that's how it used to be. And who knows? Maybe if Biden wins, he'll go back to being a actual fucking journalist again. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But one could wish that something like that would happen. But they, they just shouldn't talk about religion, period. They hate religion. I, I was on a thread the other day. A guy said just, you know, basically kind of things I say on this show all the time. You know, don't get confused. Understand they hate you if you're a Christian. They just hate you. They always will hate you. They think Christians are fucking stupid people believing in a fake God. Those are actually words I've had thrown at me. If you start an argument with a progressive person, even if you don't talk about religion, invariably... They are going to come back with religion. That's what they do. Fuck your God. Your God has nothing to do with this. This is about the Constitution. Which, you know, let's be honest. These fucking people don't really care about the Constitution. Period. They just don't. They they care about fucking power. Constitution just gets in their way. So their plan is just to make power. We're going to have power, and the way we're going to do it, we're just going to go around it, and we're going to pander. Democrats have just unveiled a series of large photos of people's family, children, adults, who they say are at risk of losing health care coverage, and Barrett is confirmed. Now, put up a picture of the millions that have a useless insurance card who have deductibles so high that they only see a doctor that got hit by a bus. That, that's a true statement, folks. It affected, their Affordable Care Act affected everybody, including soldiers. Yamachi Yamachi Alcindor, Senator Lindsey Graham just quoted the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg saying, a president serves four years, not three, but Ginsburg said just before her death, my more further wish is to place a new president is installed. Who gives a fuck what she wished? Nobody fucking cares about what she wished. We don't work that way. That's not how the system works. But lefties were stuck on the ACA and abortion. And this is Elizabeth Warren. One day, uh, there are 10 tweets. Today's sham hearing. That was the big talking point. On a holiday, 20 days from election. What holiday? Columbus was a bastard. He killed indigenous people. What the fuck, man? I mean, this whole sexist and, and on a holiday. I heard that a lot yesterday. No, there is no holiday. You said Columbus is a piece of shit. There's no more holiday. Uh, during a COVID-19 outbreak in a Judiciary Committee, like exposed chairman who won't get tested, Senate Republicans know that Amy ACB is dedicated to overturning Roe. 
I'm just paraphrasing all his tweets. Senate Republicans know that ACB will gut health care. Most Americans don't want the Supreme Court to take away abortion rights. Most Americans don't want the Supreme Court to rip away health care. And most Americans believe the next president should fill this support Supreme Court seat. No, they don't. No, they don't. And there's actually zero cases pending on the ACA. The ACA was found constitutional by the Supreme Court, who was slightly tilted to the right with Supreme Court Justice fucking Roberts, who's more liberal than he is conservative, and they wrote law, which is why you guys want to pack the courts. This absurd hearing is happening today because Amy ACB is the last hope for a desperate, undemocratically overrepresented party. If today's Supreme Court hearing to steal a Supreme Court seat makes you furious, get in the fight and vote. That's basically the end of every one of their things. I I just, I, all of them were the same. Here's Booker and Harris. I was going to play, and I'll play a little bit of Klobuchar. The American people should decide. The American people should decide. The American people should decide. I will not be voting to confirm Judge Barrett's nomination. By replacing Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg with someone who will undo her legacy, President Trump is attempting to roll back Americans' rights for decades to come. Every American must understand that with this nomination, equal justice under law is at stake. Our voting rights are at stake. Workers' rights are at stake. Consumer rights are at stake. The right to a safe and legal abortion is at stake. And holding corporations accountable is at stake. And again, there's so much more. So, Mr. Chairman, I do believe this hearing is a clear attempt to jam through a Supreme Court nominee who will take health care away from millions of people during a deadly pandemic that has already killed more than 214,000 Americans. I believe we must listen to our constituents and protect their access to health care and wait to confirm a new Supreme Court justice until after Americans decide who they want in the White House. Thank you. Welcome, Judge Barrett. Uh, This committee is gathered today for what I consider one of its most solemn duties and one that I take very seriously. Federal judges, senators, the president of the United States, we all take an oath to uphold the Constitution. We make promises to do justice, to tell the truth. At its core, that's what judges do, right? Figure out the truth, figure out justice. My mom, a second grade teacher, spent her life teaching little kids what was right or wrong, what was true or false. I still believe it matters, and so do the American people. But we are dealing with a president who doesn't think truth matters. And he has allies in Congress who in the past defended our democracy, but are now doing his bidding. Senators who clearly set out that the president, a precedent that the president in an election year should wait, that we should have an election. And that then the people choose the president and the president chooses the nominee. That was your precedent. It has been said that the wheels of justice 
turn slowly. Injustice, on the other hand, can move at lightning speed, as we are seeing here today. We cannot, and you watching at home should not, separate this hearing from the moment we are in and from the judge he is trying to rush through. To respond to Senator Cruz, this isn't a rush to justice. This is a rush to put in a justice, a justice whose views are known and who will have a profound impact on your life. And yes, these policies that the court decides, they matter. Where you can go to school, who you can marry, decisions you can make about your own body, and yes, your health care. The president knows this. We have a president who has refused to commit to a peaceful transfer of power after an election. Every candidate does that, but not this guy. We have a president who has fired or replaced five inspector generals, Senator Grassley, who has fired an attorney general, an FBI director, and is now going after their replacements. We have a president who divides our country each and every day. He has called our military suckers and losers. He's refused to condemn white supremacists. And he has the gall to hold up a Bible as a prop in front of a church instead of heeding its words to act justly. And now he says this election will end up in court. Why, Senator Cruz, does President Trump matter? He is putting the Supreme Court in place, in his words, to, quote, look at the ballots, end quote. Well, I won't concede that this election is headed to the court because you know at home exactly what the president is up to. That's why you're voting. That's why you are voting in droves. Why are you voting? Well, you know that your rights, your health, your health care is on the line. You know that they are trying to push through a justice who has been critical of upholding the Affordable Care Act, and they're doing it in the middle of a pandemic. And you can see here in this room the misplaced priorities of this Republican-run Senate, and it's in your hands to change it. Are they working to pass a bill to help Americans to get the testing they need to save their lives? Are they working to help the moms trying to balance a toddler on their lap? while balancing a laptop on their desk? Are they trying to help our seniors isolated, missing graduations and birthdays? Are they passing the bill the House passed that would help our economy? That's not the priority. Instead, they choose to do this. So no, we cannot divorce this nominee and her views from the election we are in. We didn't choose to do this now, to plop a Supreme Court nomination hearing in the middle of an election. They did. So the reason people aren't going to fall for this is because it is so personal. The over 210,000 people who have died, the school canceled, the small business closed, the job you don't have, the degree you couldn't get. It's personable to me because my husband got COVID early on. He ended up in the hospital for a week on oxygen with severe pneumonia. And months after he got it, I find out the president knew it was airborne, but he didn't tell us. We were cleaning off every surface in our house, and my husband got it anyway. We didn't know. And my dad at 92, he got it in his assisted living. I stood there outside his window in a mask, and he looked so small and confused. He knew who our family was, but he didn't know what was going on. I thought it was going to be the last time that I saw him. She used her entire time just to go on a screed. And the best part about it, and and what really cracks me up, is the fact that when you really break it down, 
Nobody gave a fuck what Harris had to say until you pandered for votes and put her in. Nobody cared. She was rejected by Democrats. Now we're supposed to listen to her like she is the end-all, be-all. Klobuchar was a fucking clusterfuck. But we're supposed to listen to her. And as we say, there's no religious problem, and it's a red, it's a fucking red herring, straw man argument. No media member is going to go out there and literally say the truth that the Supreme Court will never overturn Roe v. Wade. What people are pushing is for the Supreme Court to put restrictions, allow states to put restriction, because all the fucking Roe v. Wade said is that abortion is constitutional. How they did that, I don't know. But they said it's constitutional. It didn't say there couldn't be restrictions. They didn't say anything. We just left it at that and walked the fuck away. But they have their base, so freak the fuck out. Fuck every white woman that voted in these white bastards. A normal-looking woman literally had that. Lauren Hugh, it's a very weird thing to watch these old creeps congratulate handmaids on her down car, on her clown car vagina because she has so many kids. Another lady, it's terrifying. I barely use my vagina anymore and I can feel it shrieking. Who the fuck says that? Je- uh, Jill Filipovic, uh wrote an article. Uh, and Barrett is encouraging this. The coverage of her campaign to positive projection and oddly passivity onto her as if she's simply been caught up in events controlled by others. But the truth is that she's actively lobbying for the job, calling senators to help push the process along. But Barrett knows perfectly well that the public is against Trump and McConnell and against her too. She's determined to win this victory right now while she still can't on herself and her agenda. This will of the public doesn't enter into it any more than morality does. Barrett is an educated person. She graduated top of law school. She certainly can count past four. She knows Antonio Scalina, the justice she clerked for, died in February, and that Ginsburg died in 2020, four years and seven months apart, and that Trump is claiming right to fill both vacancies. What sort of prospective Supreme Court justice believes a president should get five years' worth of court picks in four-year term? Everybody goes, oh, so it's bad to want to have a woman who's got ambition now? Angela Lux taking her face and making it a uterus. ACBs. Why are the GOP swearing on a woman with three years experience on the bench for a lifetime appointment to the highest court in the land? It's a shameful, embarrassing sham that insults the health and welfare of the entire nation. We will not forget. The entire fucking world said, now do Kagan and Sotomayor. But they were okay. They were fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. Another fucking angle they went through. Um... Barrett's opening opening statement was telling. This is Amy Magnus. She's a fucking journalist. One guess who she praises for their academic progress and who she jokes about being able to speak after bragging how much they can deadlift. Did anybody else know that Amy Coner Barrett told us her white children have intellectual goals where our black children can deadlift? 
Isn't that casual racism? Another Democrat. Women lawyers and judges wear suits, including dresses with jackets for work. It's not a great look that ACB consistently does not. No male judge would be dressed in less than correct courtroom attire. It's inappropriately casual. Yeah. Her wardrobe. Because that's okay. She's not a woman. You don't give woman stuff. That's not the way it works. Because she's a conservative. And she doesn't believe you should abort a baby after it's born. CNN was so petulant while they're still talking about COVID because they think that's a winning thing that can get Trump out of office. They cut away. They're not carrying it. Period. They did not carry the confirmation hearing. Jeff Greenfield. CNN's not carrying the Barrett hearing. Have they said why not? Ted Cruz. Presumably, the worried voters will be impressed by Judge Barrett. And that's probably true. I mean, what the fucking actual fuck? They didn't air any of it. They just cut the fuck away. Then they go in the hearing. The key, they, they, Democrats accuse Amy Coney Barrett of hiding key details about pro-life views, hospital bankruptcy case. Because that's all they could dig up on her. Because there's nothing else to dig up. She's a good person. A really good person. And you can't have good people. Good people are bad. So we're going to go with... She's pro-life. How many conservatives aren't pro-life? I even had a supercut of Obama and Biden over and over saying under Merrick Garland how they should be able to do whatever the fuck they want. But I'm not going to play it. So as we go out to our first break of the day, going to play the media reaction. I parsed it down just to the worst shit. For your music assignment, you'll hear Tucker. And we'll have more on this in another one. But we're going to come into the Denver shooting. These guys are in a white panic, a male white panic, and they want to put the clock back. I was, listen, I'm old enough, I remember the 50s, okay? A woman couldn't even get her own credit card in those days. Forget about getting an abortion. I had a girlfriend in high school who had to fly to Puerto Rico to get, a, to get an abortion. It was so difficult to get anything in this country at that time that was legal. You had to put your life at risk in those days. Um, the, the gays were terrified of coming out. You know, this is what they would like to do to the country now, to put their reactionary Rush Limbaugh ideas into the country. And the country is not there.
In her opening statement obtained by NBC News, Barrett won't mention her conservatism or devout Catholic religious views. As a Notre Dame law professor, Barrett signed on to a 2006 newspaper ad, calling the legacy of Roe versus Wade barbaric, and she'll face questions about abortion. I will be focused on her state of views on a woman's right to choose. Democrats also warning she could be the deciding vote to strike down the Affordable Care Act, with arguments in a critical case set for just days after the election. Joe Biden's running mate, Kamala Harris, is also on the committee, attending the hearings virtually from her Senate office, tweeting that Republicans are endangering lives. We know Barrett is expected to ultimately be confirmed on a party line vote. And if that happens, it's going to be the most partisan vote for a Supreme Court justice in modern history. Democrats have seen just an absolute wave of donations, money coming in from people who are motivated by this very question. Democrats today, you'll see in a few minutes, planning on displaying photos of constituents who could stand to lose their health care. This morning, the Senate Judiciary Committee will begin the first of four days of hearings on the Supreme Court nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And CNN's Jessica Schneider is live in Washington with a preview for us. So what should we expect, Jessica? Well, Allison, this confirmation hearing is set to be an unprecedented hybrid, with some senators appearing in person, others appearing virtually, like vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris. Now, we've learned that Amy Coney Barrett will portray herself as a mother of seven, as a wife, and as a justice who will be in line with the late, staunchly conservative justice Antonin Scalia. Now, today is just opening statements, but it could be a week of fireworks as Democrats press into a number of important topics. It's set to be a Supreme Court confirmation showdown Republicans want to rush through before the election. Amy Coney Barrett has been in the hot seat before, in 2017, when she secured her spot on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals by a 55 to 43 Senate vote. But this time, with the ideological balance of the Supreme Court at stake, Democrats plan to delve into issues they did not focus on before, like Barrett's record on abortion, health care, and election. 22 days until the election. President Trump is returning to the campaign trail. He's set to hold rallies in a number of states this week, including Iowa, where he is locked in the polls with Joe Biden. The president easily won that state in 2016. CNN's Jeff Zeleny is live in Des Moines, Iowa, with more. So how's it looking this time around, Jeff? Allison, good morning. The president's travel schedule speaks volumes about the state of the race. The Trump campaign is on defense. That is why the president is coming here later this week to hold a rally. But Republicans also have another tight race on their hands here, one that could determine the Senate majority. So, folks, is it a tough election cycle or what? Iowa Senator Joni Ernst is feeling the October heat. It is a tough, tough, tough year. But you know what? I'm going to finish first. Yet her re-election is not entirely in her control, with Republican fortunes tied to President Trump. That's the real terror of this all, is that Trump takes down the whole ticket, the whole Republican side of the Senate. Mark McAllister voted for Trump four years ago. He said he won't do so again. I think he has been extremely divisive to our people. Um, I think he's... I mean, I use the word despicable, and I do think he's despicable. Um, Despicable. Yes. In Iowa, where Trump won by nine percentage points, polls now show he's locked in a tight race with Joe Biden. Republican officials are nervously watching the suburbs here, as the president's shaky support threatens the GOP Senate majority. 
and Ernst, a once rising party star. In many ways, she's been a disappointment. She's not been a leader. She's basically parroted what the Trump administration has told her. And that was her. a pretty stunning moment there where you have a vice presidential nominee who is a sitting senator and a participant in this Judiciary Committee hearing uh, three weeks before the election with comments saying that the woman you see there on your screen who is the nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, is someone who's going to undo Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy. And just that split screen of Barrett listening to Harris as she said that she felt this nomination of Amy Coney Barrett is an attempt to take away the health care of millions of people in the middle of a pandemic. This is a historic moment that we're watching. It is. And she also uh, made it very clear that she felt that the nomination was what she said, trying to bypass the will of the voters uh, and have the Supreme Court do their dirty work, is the way she put it, when it comes to rolling back the Affordable Care Act. So this was clearly a frontal attack, not only on what Amy Coney Barrett would do if she is confirmed to the Supreme Court, but an attack on the Republican Senate, which clearly she wants to change control of the Senate to Democratic hands, and saying that they are going around uh, the will of the people, that the people ought to decide after this election. Also making the case very clearly, Brianna, that it took 150 days for them to decide what to do with the stimulus bill, which is sitting in the Senate, but 20 two days uh, for them to push through uh, Supreme Court nominations. So very direct, very clear. Uh, she outlined the stakes, I think, as the Democrats see it very well. She was more emphatic than we had heard earlier today, but she certainly struck the same note. But it was notable to me that Senator Harris uh, specifically mentioned and brought up reproductive rights several times in her opening statement as part of several other types of uh, what she described as equal justice rights being at risk here. The only people talking about uh, raising her Catholicism or her religion seem to be the Republicans and not the Democrats. Thank you very much. President speaking at a huge rally in Florida tonight, cleared by two tests, given the green light by his physicians. The president seems full of energy tonight. We're going to re monitor this rally and break in with any news that emerges from it, and some may. For now, though, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy Columbus Day. If you've been out celebrating the discovery of America, you may have missed the first round of Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearings. So how were the hearings? Well, we watched, in a word, we put it this way, bizarre. Bizarre for this reason, almost none of the attacks on Barrett, and of course there are many of those, had anything to do with the job she is trying to get. The Supreme Court exists only to determine whether the laws that our politicians write are consistent with the Constitution of the United States. That's why we have a Supreme Court. It's the only reason we have it. Supreme Court justices do not make laws because they're not elected by voters. We don't let them legislate as a result. That's how democracy works. Only people who are elected get to make laws. Democrats would like to change that system. They understand that Congress is an inherently small-c conservative body. Congress is never going to change the country overnight in some radical way because voters don't want radical overnight change. They never do. So if you're going to have a revolution, if you're going to remake America, you're going to have to do it from above and you're going to have to impose it on people. And the left would like to use the Supreme Court as their instrument to do that, a kind of super Congress with lifetime tenure. Imagine power like that. There's nothing you couldn't do. 
So once you understand that perspective, which is very much their perspective, today's hearings made sense. Democrats spent hours talking about the 2009 Obamacare law. That was baffling at first. If you're interviewing someone for the Supreme Court, there's only one relevant question about Obamacare. Is it constitutional? That's all they consider. That's all they're supposed to consider, not how they feel about the law, not whether it comports with their personal values, not whether their party supports it. Is it constitutional? And yet that was one of the few things that Democrats didn't ask because they're not interested in whether or not it's constitutional. What they care about is power and whether or not Amy Coney Barrett will diminish or enhance theirs. So they understand the Supreme Court purely in political terms. So not surprisingly, they conducted today's hearings like a campaign rally. Health care for millions of Americans is at stake, barked one finger-wagging senator from California. Another Democrat pointed to a photo of a middle-aged woman called Laura, who looked very unhappy. Without Obamacare, the senator said, Laura will be, quote, unable to afford the treatments necessary for her to survive. In other words, if Amy, Amy Coney Barrett gets this job, it's curtains for Laura. Democrat after Democrat made that very same point, as they so often have recently, obey us or many will die. You know that they are trying to push through a justice who has been critical of upholding the Affordable Care Act. The effort to dismantle the law continues, and they are asking the Supreme Court to strike down the Affordable Care Act. Your nomination is about the Republican goal of repealing the Affordable Care Act. The Obamacare, they seem to detest. They are deliberately defying the will of the people in their attempt to roll back the rights and protections provided under the Affordable Care Act. Well, it sounds like Obamacare is going away if ACB gets on the court, but it's not actually. And that's the amazing thing. Obamacare isn't really at risk. There is no case currently pending anywhere in this country before any court in America that would eliminate Obamacare. Nor, by the way, do we have any idea how Amy Coney Barrett would rule in a case like that were it to materialize, which, again, it hasn't. But most bewildering of all, Democrats themselves have spent most of the past two years publicly conceding that Obamacare is a disaster. Six of the 10 Democrats currently, as of today, sitting on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, that's the same committee that convened today to consider Amy Coney Barrett's nomination, six of the 10 co-sponsored Medicare for All legislation. That legislation would have completely abolished Obamacare, along with all private health insurance. Kamala Harris is one of the people who voted for that. Amazing. And yet there was Kamala Harris today warning us that the country will collapse if Amy Coney Barrett votes on a hypothetical case to destroy Obamacare, which she herself voted to destroy. What? It all seems kind of confusing. But think about it for a second, and it begins to make more sense. When you realize the goal is not to preserve Obamacare, again, they voted to scrap Obamacare. The goal is to undermine the legitimacy of our systems, and in this case of the Supreme Court, so that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris can pack the court full of partisan Democrats who will rubber stamp their program. Again, it's about power. Oh, that's the key to the riddle. When confirmation hearings become partisan political exercises, they make the Supreme Court itself seem like a partisan political exercise. And that degrades the public's trust in the court and their support for our institutions. Democrats know that for the public to go along with court packing, they have to delegitimize everything about the court and the confirmation process. 
And so that's what they did today again and again. Lost in this hypocritical rush is the legacy of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Let me close by remembering her for a minute in this unseemly charade. This is a charade when they say this is a normal Judiciary Committee hearing. Rushing a judge through this sham process. They are confident that victory at the Supreme Court is now within their grasp if the Senate confirms Judge Barrett through this hypocritical, illegitimate process. Yes, Judge, I think this hearing is a sham. Oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because in a democracy, and you probably learned this in civics class, in a democracy, you're required to obey the posthumous orders of a dead person who was never elected. Okay. And when you don't, it's a sham. It's a charade. Never mind the fact that the Senate is, of course, by definition, following every constitutional procedure for filling a Supreme Court vacancy. Amy Coney Barrett isn't the outcome, though, that Democrats want. Therefore, our system, they're telling us, is illegitimate. The irony, of course, is that it's Donald Trump who's undermining our democratic norms. Remember that? They tell you that at every turn. And yet it's not Trump who tried to pack the Supreme Court. He could have tried when Republicans can control Congress. He didn't consider packing the Supreme Court. Now, Democrats are planning to, and it's a familiar path. Hugo Chavez packed the Supreme Court of Venezuela in 2004. Erdogan did the same in Turkey. How'd they do that? How'd they get their populations to go along with it? By claiming their judicial systems were already illegitimate. Sound familiar? On Saturday, Joe Biden stumbled through the same rehearsed line you heard from Kamala Harris during the debate last week. Republicans have already packed the court, Joe Biden declared. Yes, we've had nine justices for more than 150 years. And yet somehow, without anyone noticing, Trump packed the Supreme Court. He did. The only court packing going on right now is going on with Republicans packing the court now. It's not constitutional what they're doing. They're the ones violating the Constitution, says Joe Biden. So when I rewrite the Constitution, it'll be fine. That's the predicate. That's the setup for what's coming next. Joe Biden knows Republicans aren't packing the court. He also knows he can repeat that lie with no consequences whatsoever because the media will never hold him to account. They want him to get away with it. Back in 2013, when it helped Barack Obama, a partisan operation called PolitiFact wrote, quote, court packing has involved one branch of government proposing to change the structure of the courts, either expanding or decreasing the number of justices. Now, Republicans are not doing that. It's pretty simple. They're not in favor of doing that. If they ever come out in favor of doing it, we will attack them for doing it because we're not partisan. But, of course, you won't find a PolitiFact fact check of what Joe Biden just said on Saturday. Instead, our media actually rushed to perpetuate his lies. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. So this weekend, a piece by the Associated Press referred to court packing non-sarcastically. They weren't joking at all as, quote, depoliticizing the court. You increase the size of the court to dilute the other side's power. You pack it full of partisans who do your bidding, and that's depoliticizing it. Here's how the AP put it, quote, Montana Senate candidate Steve Bullock said that if Coney Barrett was confirmed, he would be open to measures to depoliticize the court, including adding judges to the bench, a practice critics have dubbed packing the court. Yeah, no, not critics, scholars, historians, politicians, 
Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself, every person in America referred to court packing as court packing up until two weeks ago. Right. It's hard to believe that line made it into print, but it did. Court packing is just depoliticizing the court now. You'll probably see that definition formalized in the AP's next woke style guide next to their entries on undocumented shoppers and peaceful riots. Fundamentally, though, the AP is onto something inadvertently. Many judges and justices in this country are obviously political. They have a lot of power, too much power, more power than any individual should have. Power in this country should reside with the electorate. People who are elected should have the most power, not people who are appointed. Unelected judges shouldn't be deciding issues like abortion, immigration policy for the entire country, but they are. The solution to that is not to embrace more politics in your judicial branch, though. It's to recognize the proper role of the courts, to de-escalate a little bit, to bring us a little closer to sanity. In a brief moment toward the end of today's hearing, in her opening statement, Amy Coney Barrett tried to do exactly that. Watch. Courts have a vital responsibility to the rule of law, which is critical to a free society. But courts are not designed to solve every problem or right every wrong in our public life. The policy decisions and value judgments of government must be made by the political branches, elected by and accountable to the people. The public should not expect courts to do so, and courts should not try. So these hearings of Amy Coney Barrett will continue for the next couple of days, barring some really dramatic development that it's hard even to imagine. It does seem very likely that she'll be confirmed in the end. So there's not a lot of drama, at least as of tonight, surrounding her nomination. What happens to the Supreme Court itself, however, is very much in doubt, and along with it, our country. Senator Ted Cruz. On uh, police radio, in town Denver. Yeah, all suspects in custody. Come around. 
T-O-Y-A. I am the Division Chief of Investigations for the Denver Police Department. Uh, today, in Civic Center Park, approximately 3.30 p.m., uh, the protest activity that we had been working on was starting to break up. People were starting to egress out of, uh, out of the park. At uh, 3.37 p.m., officers working the event got on the air and indicated there had been shots fired and that there was a person down. And they also indicated that a suspect was in custody. What we determined, what we determined was that uh, there was a verbal altercation that transpired at the area of the shooting, which uh, was between the uh, Denver, uh, the Art Museum, and the uh, Denver Public Library, probably just uh, just south of 14th Avenue. Uh, there was a verbal altercation that uh, transpired. Um, firearm was discharged, individual was shot and later pronounced deceased. There were two guns uh, recovered at the scene, and uh, right now that, that's what we have. What do you know about the parties that were involved? We're still trying to determine that, uh, whether, uh, you know, who, who they were affiliated with, uh, so we don't know that right yet. Well, Denver television station has indicated they were affiliated. Yeah. That has not been that's not been confirmed by us yet. We're still interviewing multiple witnesses and we're trying to determine that for to be factual before we we report on it. Can you say anything about the biographical information of either person? Uh, both uh, white males. So that's what were the people taken into custody. The person taken into custody was the individual that we uh, determined shot the other individual. Right, at the scene or some distance from the scene? At the scene. Immediately upon, uh, right after the shooting occurred, the individual was taken into custody. Just one into custody? One into custody in relation to that incident. We're still trying to determine that. There was a mace recovered at the scene, a canister of mace. We're still trying to determine, we're reviewing the evidence to determine if that's exactly what occurred. Chief, was there, looks like there was a camera right there. Where this happened. Do you guys have access to that video? We do. We do. Yes. Does it capture the incident? It does capture the incident. Okay. And where are the two guns that were recovered? 
Well, we have the one suspect in custody, and he is at police headquarters right now. Non-related. Uh, initially, we thought they were uh, non-related. Is the person taken into custody a security guard, and do you know if that person is authorized to carry a weapon? We have not determined that yet. So, we don't know if they, we don't know if they were a security guard. We don't know if they were authorized to carry a weapon. That will be something that uh, we're able to verify through the investigation. Once we do, we will report out again and give you all that factual information. Was the victim present at the Patriot rally? Again, that has not been established yet. We're still interviewing people. We don't know what affiliation the victim was, uh, what, who they were affiliated with. And is that the same with the shooter? You don't know their affiliation? Yes, that's correct. We do not know. Uh, we, we can't talk about that right now. But was it a male? It was a male. Not yet. It's way too early. Uh, we have the district attorneys, as always, are uh, involved in the investigation, and they'll make that determination. Well, hopeful that uh, as soon as as soon as possible we can get the, the factual information out as to what led to this, uh, who the individuals involved were. We're hopeful that the, that information will help kind of calm the waters a little bit. Um, we don't want any erroneous information going out, any speculation, because that's really what hurts us, and that's what uh, gets everybody uh, angry and motivated to, to commit more violence, and that's what we're trying to prevent. There was a very notable presence from Denver police today. What can you tell us about the presence of Denver police in that courtyard when the incident happened? Well, I mean, it's, uh, there was a large presence because we had two, two groups with opposing views. And we know that can always get uh, very tense and has, there's always potential for violence. We understand that. Um, we had a large uh, contingent there to try to watch the egress of one group so that the other group wouldn't intermingle with them. So that's the reason for the, the large presence there. Is this the first fatal shooting during any of the protests at all this summer? Uh, to the best of my recollection, yes. Uh, I don't know right off the top of my head. I, I'm not, nothing's coming to me right now that jumps out. I know we've had some violence. I don't know that we've had a fatality that was related to the, um, the actual protests. I know on the early end, there was uh, a homicide that was committed in the park, but it was some distance from where the protest was occurring, but it did happen in the park during the time of a protest. So we don't know if it was any relation to the protest. No, this was way, probably back in June. Yes. Well, we have we have the one in custody in relations to this this uh, this homicide investigation. Um, I do know there was a second individual who was taken into custody in close proximity. We have determined that that individual is not involved in this incident, um, but they were a person of interest at the time. Okay. Where is that person right now? I believe there might have been some potential charges on him uh, in relation to something else. So. There, I don't. I can't honestly answer that. He could potentially still be in our custody. May have been cited and released. I'm. I'm not sure. Yeah. We noticed that the chief is here. Did Did he want to say some words? No. I think. Uh, I think that um, I'm uh, representing the police department on this for what we want to talk about right now. So was the victim pronounced dead at the scene or at the hospital? Where was he? Where was the body of the person taken out? I believe that happened at the hospital. They did to render aid right away. The officers on scene. 
rendered aid to the, the victim immediately, uh, and the victim was transported and later pronounced uh, deceased. And what other forces were on the scene aside from Denver Police? Well, uh, we had Denver sheriffs. We had uh, Rappo County sheriffs were assisting us, as were Douglas County sheriffs. Uh, it's unclear right now who was involved with uh, taking the suspect into custody and responding to the initial shooting scene. Do you know if the two groups were separated at the time? I spoke with one of the communists who said that they were on the north end and the militia was on the southern end of the park. Right. So Did to the to the best of our knowledge, uh, you know, our, uh, of what we know, they were separated. We, we went through great lengths uh, to separate them and keep them separate. So throughout the process of the protest, they were not in close proximity to one another. Have you been able to do cell phone video or social media? We are working on several people had cell phones. Obviously, uh, that has to be consensual for them to allow us to, to use that video. So we are talking to them right now. Uh, to determine whether or not they'll they'll allow us to see that, uh, we understand there's probably various versions of it out there already that's beyond our control. So uh, you know we're, we we know that's a reality. Did one person fire a chemical dispersion and the other person fire a gun? That's part of the investigation. We can't uh, we can't disclose that right now. Can you say I know that you're still trying to get to the bottom of that? What the law is in terms of can somebody use force against somebody? Well, I think it's all in the articulation. I mean, that's that's for the district attorney to evaluate as to what, uh, you know, if, if that's the case, whatever, in any instance, what you deem that threat to be, how you articulate that, and then it's up to the district attorneys to determine if it uh, fits the criteria for charging or not. Were there any other arrests made during today's protests other than these two? Uh, there were not. There were not. Going back to the bigger question, are you going to talk to organizers of both of these sides? Or, again, I'm trying to get at the bigger question of how you prevent the conflict going forward. Well, absolutely. I mean, we'll, we'll make uh, every outreach effort possible. We encourage uh, any leadership with any of these organizations to, to work with us to try to work through this process. We want to uh, de-escalate anything that is, is rising right now. Because that right now is our primary focus is to, to de-escalate the situation. We can't have any further violence in conjunction to what happened today. We just do not want that to happen. Uh, we're going to determine what happened in here through the investigation, but our primary focus is to de-escalate this situation. Thank you, Chief. Okay. Sir, Thank I know you. it sounds obvious, but you would say that the two people involved, the shooter and the victim, they were associated with the protests? Uh, it's, we're trying to determine that right now. Yes. Thank you, guys. Uh, hey guys, we'll pass on uh, more information as, as it becomes available, uh, Lance. Uh, as we get more information, we'll make sure that you guys all get it, okay? Thank you guys for coming out. Uh, you know, probably not. Uh, probably not. Okay, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming out. This was murder. There's a flip book out that literally shows the guy hit him because he was coming at him with pepper spray and he just shot him in the face. It's murder. And as the days went on and they tried to make it, it was a right winger. This guy literally was a supposedly a News 9 security guard who isn't registered as a News 9 or as a security guard. His left-wing Facebook posts, 
Let me get this straight. The executive branch is not listening to the judicial branch, so are there no more checks and balances? Fascist dictatorship now. What that line again? All lives matter? Then step the fuck up. Partner French, but this needs to be said. Illegal immigrants must go back home. Oh, serious? So when are you going? Um, it's just, it's, he's a resist guy. He has a tattoo. That's a resist guy. The AP photo shows this good dude standing over a dead guy on the ground who's of mixed race. That's the thing that's so hypocritical about it. The guy that got shot isn't a white dude. The dude that shot him is a white dude. The Denver shooter, this is Elijah Schaefer, is a registered Democrat, was part of an Occupy protest, followed radical far-left politicians on Twitter, followed accounts against cops and account related to Antifa, had a history of anti-Trump rhetoric online. There's pictures of him holding a flag. He got slapped in the face, got maced, shot guy who slapped and maced him. This photo completely left out by all the media. He is grabbing a dude, so he smacks him back. And then the tattoo is an Antifa tattoo. It's on his wrist. But, okay. Okay. And then the flip book that's actually released shows this guy did nothing. I just took the class. You just can't shoot people because you want to. And this isn't national news. They dropped that shit when they found out the dude wasn't what he said he was supposed to be. The meme now is U.S. media with the dead dude on the ground. Which is horrible. But the media dropped it. Not important now. Kyle Rittenhouse rots in a jail. This guy's already out. Because a left-leaning group got him out and then you have this that went viral these are girls how fucking stupid you look you fucking look like a clown you're my fucking hat That's what's happening in our kids right now. That's what's happening to anybody who doesn't play the liberal game. That poor kid was beaten by girls. Media just ignored it. There's charges pending on the two girls. But when you keep ratcheting up all this violence and you make Kyle Rittenhouse a guy who defended himself, the devil, ignore this shooting 
in every shooting that the media covers, they don't tell the facts. Here's ABC. The suspect was shooting when he was shot. But we do want to give you some details on the rioting. We just showed you video of it. It happens practically every day in America, but we just want to target this one specific outbreak of it. So prosecutors announced yesterday they were not going to charge a police officer in the shooting death of a 17-year-old African-American man called Alvin Cole. Prosecutors said that Cole had fired a shot with a stolen handgun. When he did that, the police officer, who, by the way, is also black, returned fire. Based on all the evidence, the judicial process worked its way through and no charges were brought. That's the way it's supposed to work, but nobody cares about the facts because a long time ago, rich partisans like Michelle Obama told them that facts don't matter. And we're only now starting to see the consequences. The Milwaukee suburb of Wauwatosa in chaos. Police firing tear gas at protesters throughout the night after mostly peaceful evening marches turned violent, with groups smashing windows out of businesses and even homes. The unrest erupting after the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office decision Wednesday not to file criminal charges against Wisconsin police officer Joseph Mensa in the fatal shooting of 17-year-old Alvin Cole. The administration of justice demands a legal and purposeful review of the facts. That was done in this case. Police officer Joseph Mensa's decision to use deadly force on February 2nd was justified and reasonable. Prosecutors releasing this edited video of the moment Officer Joseph Mensa shot Alvin Cole February 2nd outside a local mall when police responded to a disturbance call. Calling on fire! Shot fired, shot fired, all profit gone. Cole's family in disbelief. Joseph Mensa was the last to arrive on the scene when he shot Alvin twice, then three more times while he was laid flat on the ground. That's Face down. That's in the back. Mm-hmm. Wow. You cannot justify that. Officer Mensa has made waves in the past of fatally shooting three men in the last five years, but he was also cleared from criminal charges in the first two incidents. Mensa remains on the force, but the independent investigator who reviewed the case recommended he be fired. The attorney for the Cole family insisting the fight is far from over. 19 shots fired in five years time period, three deaths. We believe that Officer Mensa should be charged with a crime. Don't you kind of expect kids to do this stuff? I mean, this is all they see. That it's okay to treat people this way. You have no soul. Far-left activists allegedly vandalized home of North Carolina congressional candidate. The one that spoke at the convention who's paralyzed. Henderson County GOP office was to face a graffiti. Many businesses and local homes were displayed support. Both my candidacy and other Republicans were attacked and their signs defaced. Personally, my home was targeted and my personal property vandalized by thugs acting in support of my opponent's vision for this district. These left-wing enforcers spray-painted threats of violence and echoed my opponent's words as they symbolically crushed my neck and head on each sign deposited on my property. The most disturbing report about last night's events involved my opponent refusing to denounce these acts of aggression. They never have to. Ever. They don't have to ever do that. They can do whatever they want. 
I mean, there's a story out right now about Planned Parenthood. And people are turning it into a joke. Dozens of black employees say they faced racism at Planned Parenthood. An internal audit found. Do you think our media is going to show that? Ever? No. No, we're not going to show that. We're not going to show there's still problems in Portland. to this, a Portland mayoral candidate spotted with a skirt featuring photos of communist leaders. Um, this is, I believe her name is Sarah Ayanarone. I'm going to pronounce that incorrectly, but we have some video of her or a picture, a still picture of her. This is apparently her wearing skirts depicting the images of Che Guevara, Joseph Stalin, and Mao Zedong. Um, what do you make of that? I mean, she is leading Ted Wheeler by the last check I saw, 11 points there in Portland. Right. I mean, we spend most of our time condemning Ted Wheeler for his feckless or worse treatment of Antifa in his town. But this lady is literally light years ahead in the sense that she is glorifying some of the biggest mass murderers in history, that Stalin and Mao, as well as guerrilla leader and head of death squads and, and, and assassination tribunals, Che Guevara, um, fellow traveler with, uh, with the Castros. Uh, what is she signaling by this? So a violent overthrow of our government, executing her enemies, uh, killing millions of people? There's no good messaging out of this, but she's on track to win this election the way things are going. That's really scary for the residents of Portland, Shannon. Well, and she, but listen, they're the ones who would, would elect her uh, if these polls hold true, and who knows. But she has openly said that she is Antifa or she identifies with Antifa. Um, why do you think the residents of Portland, when they've suffered, many of them, uh, business owners and um, other residents have suffered a lot of destruction? And frankly, three months of, you know, at times very violent rioting. Why do you think they would pick her? Is it just that they're sick of Wheeler and they're ready for a change? No, I don't know. Maybe the polls in Portland are as fake as some of the polls we're seeing in the presidential election. But, uh, you know, people don't like Ted Wheeler's leadership. He's being condemned by both mm-hmm. sides. And maybe they don't know enough about this lady. But hopefully through this reporting, people are going to realize it's frying pan into the fire here. Don't fight! I'm going to use force on you! Oh, 
record anything that's happening a bunch of arrests <coughs> I don't care about the TRO oh. what the fuck for you. You've been called the Antifa mayor. Are you Antifa? And how would that guide how you would handle protests as mayor? I love that Joe Biden answered this question before me. Because being opposed to fascism in 2020 is not something to be embarrassed about. I have a bumper sticker from the beginning of my campaign that says hashtag everyday anti-fascist. And what I have tried to do is normalize peaceful responses to the rise of white nationalism by organizing in my community. I organized the, this summer when the Proud Boys came to town. I organized a menstrual product drive for my neighbors residing in the Laurelwood shelter because the answer to toxic masculinity is an inclusive pluralist society where let, people let me, of let me all jump in here. feel welcome. Let me jump in here and just ask you though, is being anti-fascist the same thing as being Antifa? Are you Antifa? Antifa is not anything more than idea. That's what Vice President Biden explained to us. It's people who oppose anti-fascism. And I strongly oppose anti-fascism, and I adopt and implement peaceful responses to that. Um, and that is how I describe my position on this issue. Donald Trump has decided to make the enemy of groups of people who oppose his bullies and his militia forces. But I'm not going to be caught up in that rhetoric because it's false. It creates division in our society. It creates division in our city. When what we need is every single Portlander faced in the okay. right direction saying hate is not welcome here. Thank you, Mayor Wheeler. I'm going to These fucktards toppled Abraham Lincoln an FDR statue folks that what the fuck they were lefties and then you heard the Antifa supporting fucking mayor 
And she's winning. Portland, Oregon mayoral candidate gets a leg up on the competition with communist dictator skirt. A photo of leading candidate for mayor of Portland, Oregon has resurfaced, showing her wearing a skirt pattern with the faces of famous communist dictators. Look at the skirt. Mao is on her skirt. Portland DA rejects over 540 riot-related cases in the interest of justice. So, once again, the left and the media kind of missed this one, which is surprising, but I think it's because they're not covering any violence to help Biden get elected. Two BLM protesters federally charged after blocking Portland ICE facility because they're not going to get charged locally. And then we have Katie Turr in the beginning talking about conspiracies. Once again, this is all about violence because this gets people fucked up. Charlie Kirk. Holy crap, one of the speakers who opened the Republican National Convention for Trump, the other just got arrested for plotting terrorism to kidnap the governor of Michigan. It took BuzzFeed saying, no, the man pictured with Charlie Kirk isn't a Whitmer kidnapping suspect. Because that was all over the place. Everywhere. That was a story. The Portland mayor... Here's just one of her tweets, because I I don't want to get too in the weeds of this guy. There should be no safe haven for people affiliated with domestic terrorism and white nationalist extremists in our sanctuary city period. Thanks for your leadership. The problem is, you guys count everybody. Everybody. Is a white supremacist. If you don't, Sing our tune. You're a white supremacist. That that's that's pretty much how you fucking people play this game, and it's a silly fucking game, because people are getting hurt all over the place, and you guys don't seem to care. Here's a Trump Trump truck getting attacked in Vegas because in our end today, soundbites the day, we're gonna do all the nationwide Trump parades that our media ignored. But they're fucking with these people's cars and attacking them. And this little, I won't say girl since we don't have gender on the left, she got ran the fuck over. No, PBS. It's not the right ramming people. It just literally comes down to people are scared. And people are literally freaking the fuck out and trying to get away from these army ant fucks. But, oh, by the way, here's a ramming. Here's a great African-American dude in Chicago ramming four cars, hitting one of the cops to escape and evade. That didn't make the news. Look at She ain't getting away. She has going to jail. Hey, what the hey. 
my God. Oh my God. Oh my Stop her. She can't go nowhere. She's gonna back up. Woo! Marcus, you probably should back your shit halfway up. Cause she's gonna back up in this driveway in a minute. No, PBS. It's not the right ramming, people. It just literally comes down to people are scared. And people are literally freaking the fuck out and trying to get away from these army ant fucks. But, oh, by the way, here's a ramming. Here's a great African-American dude in Chicago ramming four cars, hitting one of the cops to escape and evade. That didn't make the news. Look at him. She ain't getting away. She has going to jail. He trying to go. He's gonna stop her. She can't go nowhere. She's gonna back up. Woo! Marcus, you probably should back your shit out the way up. Cause she's gonna back up in this driveway in a minute. Once again, if it was conservatives doing this, it would be violence. Article, I was going to play it, but I'm not because I'm over on time today. Celebs rage against mass murderer Trump. We played most of these that culminate with freaking Hanoi Jane saying the best thing ever was fucking COVID. A black celebrity, Carrie Washington, talking shit about black conservatives. Saying they're pieces of shit. It's it's everywhere. It's nonstop. It it doesn't matter. You can't get away with it. That's why I started the show on the silent vote. Who is gonna admit I know tomorrow when I go voting? Which the next podcast I'll talk about what I saw, you know, just like I always do. Um Well, I guess I've only done once on the show. Uh, back in 2016, but 
there's always people taking a survey. And my answer is going to be, I can't answer that question. In this current state of affairs, if you don't vote for Biden and Democrats, you get docs beaten and murdered. And I'm going to walk away. That's my answer. Because that's what the left's doing. Our colleges, here's a college professor once again kicking a kid out for wrong thing. Mm-hmm. That path is you um, speak to a group that believes that equality will take something away from them. You take a group and you um, create an ideology of white nationalism. It has to have roots in something in your history. So for Nazi Germany, there was an Aryan nation kind of history. The United States baked in white supremacy into the Constitution. When the rest of the world was trying to find its way against enslavement, and the United States protected, not only protected slavery, but gave the southern slaveholding states the power to count their slaves, not as full humans, but as votes to dominate our politics. We're still at it. Uh, Then you speak to that grievance in ways that create divisions. And finally, you take political power at any cost. So right now, I didn't used to talk politics. I used to be very... Uh, attentive to my job as a professor who taught based on evidence and not based on politics. I continue to speak for health equity. Uh, So you begin to take over government with the polarization and the grievance mentality and you take control where you can. The judiciary, voting, Uh, local government, and you do whatever you have to, to gain power. You say, we cannot appoint, we cannot let Barack Obama appoint a judge. That would be wrong. The people must elect. Then you now have Trump in the presidency, and all of a sudden, you have a corrupt government that says, we must, we must let the president select. So these are just small examples of how you twist a combination of grievance, uh, how it is that people believe, come to believe that if I have something, you have less. That has to be manipulated because it's, abundance is like love. The more you give, the more you have. It's like faith. The more you give, the more you have. So you have to be uh, carefully taught. So I was recently, before the pandemic, at a very beautiful event at Brandeis University. I don't often go to Jewish-focused events, but um, a beloved uh, friend of one of my nieces uh, had worked on a book. It was two books by... um, uh, documenters of their family history with the Holocaust. Uh, A young woman who uh, took the memoirs of her grandmother, who was a Holocaust survivor, and a 
um, German descent woman. She came through Brazil and she discovered by being an, a detective historian that her grandfather in Brazil had been in secret the head of the SS in Germany. And he had managed to escape to Brazil and he had managed to hide his crimes. And we're all sitting around. This was an event to speak to what do we need to know about our histories? And all of us there, the writers, the discussants, the scholars, the survivors, we thought this would never happen again. We thought we were never going to see fascism of the Nazi Germany sort ever again. We now have children on the border in cages. We have the criminalization of immigrants. We have a criminal who's a president and who's going down in flames. Don't think he's not. We have the Republican militias with armbands preparing to go to the polling booths. They are preparing for election suppression, for voter suppression. The minute a Republican majority had appointed most of the judges, they removed, um, I, can't, I can't look at the chats, um, I have cognitive processing issues. Um, the minute uh, the Supreme Court was challenged to say, do we still have voter suppression in the United States? They said no with no evidence. And we now have the problem of having to go county by county, state by state, to address the manipulation of the vote. The only Republican strategy right now. And look, I didn't used to say Republican Democrat, but now that we have Nazis, we got to do it. I don't think Donald Trump's a Nazi. Okay. All right. Great, Mary. This is not the debate I'd like to have. You asked me a question. Right. And let's have this offline, okay? Uh, uh, I'm, I've got to be done with Mary. No, but uh, I'm very glad to share my share the resources I have to understand. All right, so maybe he's not a Nazi. Maybe he's just a fraud and a criminal. Well, can I just say something, please? I, it's about the children at the border. Are you aware of how many children are trafficked into this country? Oh, Mary. Of course I am. Because I think that's a really big human rights issue that no one speaks about. And so, Mary, you would like us to talk about trafficked children? All right. Uh, let's do it some other time. Um, okay. Was there something? How am I doing, guys? I uh, think Manny, Manny raised his hand. And uh, three-headed uh, chimera uh, that guards the gates of life uh, and the gates of death. That this is what keeps oppression in place and is systemic. So I do um, try to center on what women of color know, because in most parts of the world, they have had the darkest view of inequality and work the hardest to keep our families together anyway. Trafficking is an ab abomination, Mary. Yeah. As is a president who is willing to talk in public about having sex with his daughter. Just saying. Um, 
was there any, well, well, let me just say, I am very glad to give people, not probably not today, but my Zoom office hours, my email, uh, I think my email is on the PowerPoint presentation. Very, very glad to, um, you know, follow up if you have questions and you'd like to send them to me. I'll also put together more of the accessible resources. Once we move to Zoom, um, I, uh, I'm using more video because I just think it's hard to do all this without the support of a classroom, you know, in-person environment. And it's important to have different ways of accessing the information. Well, well, we've come to the end of our class. Thank you so much, Professor Shapiro, for an engaging uh, session. Um, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I see the students are on the lookout for classes that you are teaching in the spring. Um, I apologize if the intensity was dialed up to, what is it, 10 plus? What is it on? Uh, uh, it's just, I, too many people are dying. Well, you're great. Including our students. I just feel it. Uh, so thank you, everybody, and uh, I look forward to continuing the conversations offline. Wonderful. Thank you so much, thank Professor. You, so thank you. Oh, thank Aki. you. So, so let's, uh, Aki, let's, uh, thanks to everybody, and, and Mary, apologies. Thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. You. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, see you. See you on Thursday, everyone. And if you would like uh, to join uh, Meg um, during office hours. I mean, I got stories today. They kick students out for misgendering accidentally. Professor, shamed to be an American after Breonna Taylor and goes on a tweet screen. Racist demon scumbag, white boy. Professors take aim at Pence during VP debate. College encourages students to ignore grammar to support diverse folks with an X. University of Kentucky segregated residential assistance training by race sent white people to white accountability spaces. You know this affects people, right? This makes people do stupid things. And then the leader of all this shit in the NFL, fuck reform. Kaepernick starts month-long movement for abolition, dismantling of policing. Those who have been terrorized by law enforcement, those who have had enough of the very existence being criminalized, and those who have dedicated their lives to the cause of liberation by any means necessary, demanding the abolition of the carceral state, the institution structures and practice of anti-black state-sanctioned violence that violates the fundamental humanity of black and indigenous people and people of color. These aren't good people. They're bad people. They spend all their time brainwashing and making people act stupid, which turns to violence. There's a fucking hotel. This is a real story. I'm not making it up. But this, this once again, because I, I always place those sound bites up front. For effect, but Katie Tour and right wing conspiracies and Trump's occult and all the things we've heard 
over the last five years, or four years, excuse me, and if you count the election, Hotel with female empowerment theme features massive portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg made out of tampons. This revamped DC hotel opened with a female empowerment theme, a portrait of RBG made out of 20,000 hand-painted tampons, cocktails named the Huntress and Empowerment, and head chief who is male. This is a boutique hotel with $16 cocktails that American struggling women grappling with illness and death and unemployment have been waiting for. What the fuck? And Tucker nails it as he always does. And, you know, I've talked about it on the show. For liberals to to fucking win... They have to fear monger and they have to delegitimize everything. And Kurt Schlitzer, which I never say his name right, flying the flag is a secret Trump handshake. I'm not going to read it, but that's literally what these people believe. The American flag is a secret handshake, it's threatening to white people or to black people it puts them in such a bad position because it's horrible when you see an american flag it makes me fear for my life because of slavery and shit oh so long ago because what's better than just going all the way back hey Everything about America is horrible, and vote for us. And, and I always ask myself when when I hear this stuff, how do you find that as a winning thing? If America is always fucked up, and America is irredeemable, why would you? Fucking vote for a party that that's their platform. America sucks. It's a horrible, irredeemable, cannot be corrected. It is draped in racism. That's what these people say. How do you vote for that? Anybody. Because your very fixes, once again, will be executed by majority white old people. The Democratic Party is majority white. They may have fucking people of color more than conservatives do. But that's because they've made it so that if you are a conservative and you choose to be a a Republican, you are demonized, you're threatened, you're treated like shit. And that's once again by design. 
Nothing the left does is for the betterment of the people or for what America needs to be or because it's constitutional. It's all about power and their power grab, the way they have gone about things since pretty much Bush has invariably been violent. Just violence. Their words, their deeds. I mean, right now on your TV, if you have a U.S. universal channel, vote for your life. I want you to think about that. Vote for your life. The implication is, if you don't vote and those other people get elected, you're going to lose your life. Yet we've been here under a Republican president for four years. The Democrats and media have blocked that president from doing anything. Has anybody lost any rights? Have women been put back into the kitchen? Have gays lost marriage? Can anybody answer that? Because the left gets away with it all the time. They can say that at nauseum as they fascistly go out and beat and murder people for wearing the wrong t-shirt. They keep talking about fascism, yet every time I do a podcast, I'm reporting their fascism. They are the fascists. And and, and literally, if you want to break it down, if conservatives were on a any form, okay, any form of fucking media talking like the left does, My God in heaven, CNN Tater over there, he would lose his fucking shit. Because remember, we did a whole fucking election on Sandra Flukes, a slut. Yeah, we got people going on every day saying horrible fucking shit about Christians, Catholics, women. I mean, you name it. And the violence doesn't abate. But as we go to narrative, there's a fucking reason. There's a total reason for it. It's because our media just wants to get Biden elected. And it doesn't matter how they do it. So for our listening assignment, you're going to hear Greg Gutfeld's monologue, which was really good. I could have paid a a soundbite about Columbus... But I I won't. You already know what they said. They were losing their shit. And we're going to come in to court packing. You're going to hear students talk about it. And you're going to hear the media and uh, this court packing thing. is you got to be fucking kidding me. Ever watch the Amish raise a barn? Me neither. But it's impressive. Everyone in town pitches in to help. It's like Joe Biden's campaign. 
So many people lending a hand to help the old fart stand up long enough to cross the finish line. And they're all in the media. Look, we all know the press leans so far left they can see up their own noses. Studies show journalists vote Democrat nine times out of ten. And now they're deciding the election for you, turning up the heat, hoping to boil Trump so there's nothing left. Journalism was once a profession, but now it's just another dirty job. Check out this bunch. The one thing we now know for certain is that politics is superseding medicine. Well, when I watched, I'm watching that car, the parade yesterday with him in the car, that was right out of a dictator's playbook. But it's a karmic twist. Because Trump has deployed the politics of sickness in this campaign. I would never want to say that the president is experiencing steroid-induced psychosis, but um, it is certainly concerning to see some of his actions today. His response has been homicidal negligence. He has failed to protect the American people. Ah, yes, the worse-than-Watergate guy. Now it's worse than worse than Watergate. What's this dope going to do for a living if Trump loses? Hang around parking garages, mumbling about a make-believe friend? No longer on media welfare. Maybe he can wash Woodward's limo. Trump never asked for pity, but if you expected them to show any kindness to an ailing president, you're the fool. The party who claims empathy are petty bastards. On the screen, please take it off. Because that's going to kill people. It is very, very likely that the president of the United States is panicking. And this time he is panicking on steroids. Reckless. That is reckless. I am speechless. I am stunned. I have to be honest with you. I'm disgusted by what I just saw. This man is contagious. I wake up some days, uh, well, frankly, feeling that we're in the grips of a madman. There he is. Hair blown majestically reshooting the scene for his own ad. What a bunch of bull Ugh, edgy. Cuomo the Younger. The guy who staged his own resurrection. The guy who violated his own quarantine. The drip with the Q-tip. Vamping while thousands died in rest homes under his bro's watch. He's either way stupid or has a blind spot bigger than his ego. I guess it can be both. He's that ambitious. Though it's good to see that Gergen's still alive, but maybe it was Gloria Borger in a skullcap. Then there's the NBC town hall where so-called undecided voters posed questions to Biden. Except these undecided voters were actually anti-Trump voters from MSNBC. Can you tell? And since the beginning of this pandemic, the government has been dysfunctional and disorganized. Watching the debate, I noticed that President Trump was bullying you, and I'm worried that it knocked you off your game. As an African-American female, I have never lived through what I'm living through right now, and um, at times I don't feel safe in this country. And so my question to you is, what would you do to stop extremist and white supremacist groups? How's that not staged? That made dictators' funerals look spontaneous. They had more softballs than a slow-pitch championship. But it's just not the news that gets reported. It's the news that doesn't. The cover-ups. One is a blackout of continued violence in America. In Wisconsin last week, mostly peaceful protesters broke windows in residential homes, looting small businesses. This over a black officer shooting an armed black suspect. The residents implored their attackers, hey, we're on your side, they cried. But the joke's on them. You're either in the mob or you're mobbed. Violence still plagues Portland, but the media can't touch that because it proves Trump's right on law and order, that we need more and not less. 
And covering it only makes it harder for Joe and Cam to pretend they're against the chaos instead of allowing it to spread. But perhaps the biggest cover-up, that Hillary colluded with Russians by buying their bogus intel and pushing it through cooperative media channels to sway an election, and later unleashing a slow-rolling coup when Trump won. Remember, Russia was huge news for years. This guy Kalimnik keeps turning up again and again. Konstantin Kalimnik, Konstantin Kalimnik, Konstantin Kalimnik, Konstantin Kalimnik. He's still Russian military intelligence. Giant aluminum smelters. He started sleeping at his smelters. Sabotage in his smelters. Came to his smelters. Very brutal start, right? Sleeping in the smelters. Tick, 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 tick. Boom. Started ticking again. Tick, 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 tick. Four hours later. Boom. Boom. You're stressing me out. He starts tick, tick, ticking again. The boom goes off twice. First boom. Tick, tick, tick. Boom. Tick, tick, ticking. Second boom. Bombshell. Ah, the good old days. So where are these tick, tick boomers now? Are they covering this week's developments? Well, here's Rachel. And here's Adam Schiff. And I wonder, where are those CNN eight-person panels? So adorable. Yep, the same people injecting phony collusion smack into their veins now go AWOL when we witness the real thing. Hillary started it. Brennan told Obama no one stopped it. And so these heinous Democrats and their media stooges dragged our country down an idiotic rabbit hole, which handicapped Trump in the midterms, gave media excuses to justify impeachment, and made us all question our sacred institutions. And it also made us hate the media even more than we already did. Hard to believe. Fact is, Joe only has a fighting chance because this four-year attack kept Trump vilified. And now, by its uniform non-reporting, the media helps Biden hobble to the White House. So many lies get front pages. So many truths get buried. As Trump promises to bring troops home from Afghanistan before Christmas, you hear nothing. As the economy stirs back to life, you hear nothing. As the Russian story explodes, you hear nothing. So much of what you should be hearing is instead nothing. The media has a new hood ornament, and it's this fella. Oh, I see nothing. I was not here. I did not even get up this morning. (laughs) God bless Larry Hovis. And yet what we see on TV, we still call news, even though it's now simply delivering infomercials to liberals. They pretend there's only two buckets to serve the slop from. Bucket one, oh no, Trump did this. And bucket two, oh no, Trump did that. And we have our own bucket to vomit in as we watch. Period. Podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. 
Senator Durbin, did the fact that Vice President Biden used the phrase court packing, was that a tell of where the vice well, president stands on this, that, that he doesn't want to see this happen? Well, I can, I, I can tell you that uh, we're getting this question. It's a common question being asked because American people have watched the Republicans pack in the court over the last three and a half years, and they brag about it. They've taken every vacancy and filled it. Did you know that they've sent us, and we have approved only with their votes, I might add, uh, 10 people who have been, been judged unanimously unqualified by the American Bar Association? Do you know how many judicial nominees came from Obama who were judged unanimously unqualified? None. So we are dealing with people on the court, packed into the court with little or no qualification, uh, who are going to be there for a long time. So it's understandable. The Republicans raised the issue of court packing. Senator, the, the lack of answering this question sounds like as if the Democrats are trying to game the results here and just trying to see what happens. And that it, in some ways it may be that it comes across as a negotiating tool with trying to maybe convince a handful of Senate Republicans to delay these confirmation hearings. Is that what this is? Is this a negotiating ploy? It is not a negotiating point. We are dealing with the reality. A lifetime appointment to the highest court in the land. McConnell has changed the rules for the Republican senators. We are running this through at a breakneck pace without the investigation that usually comes with these. Uh, and those are the issues. And what we're trying to drive home to the American people is this makes a difference in your life as to whether or not you have health insurance, whether or not with a pre-existing condition you can afford health insurance. And we believe that once the Republican voters across this country wake up to the reality of the strategy, mm -hmm. many of them are going to say to their senators, listen, this is not what we bargained for. We may be conservative, but we're not crazy. Our family needs health insurance protection. And when I hear Ted Cruz say, well, it, it really hinges on optimism. I don't know what polls he's looking at, but the ones I look at say three out of four Americans say this country's moving in the wrong direction. Two out of three say it's going to get worse. And why wouldn't they? With the antics of the president, the super spreader ba balcony scenes at the White House, dismissing the dangerous nature of this virus, uh, saying yeah. that he's been had a miracle cure but won't release the results of his testing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's understandable that people are skeptical of the Republican message and are, are fearful of what's going to happen if this Supreme Court nominee goes through and threatens yeah. their very health insurance. Very quickly, I want to ask. This is one of the more odd things about where we are in this campaign. The only thing I can surmise is, is what Biden said in the earlier clip that you played, which is that he doesn't want to play Trump's game. The, I think the Biden campaign recognizes that the Trump campaign and Republicans are trying to set an agenda item, putting court packing on the table and forcing Biden to reject it or accept it. But as you pointed out, he doesn't support this idea. He hasn't in the past. And I do think it's odd that he won't just put this to bed. Look, Democrats uh, on the left of Joe Biden have uh, have stomached a lot of other rejections on a lot of other issues, whether it's Medicare for all or you, you name it. Uh, and I don't see why Democrats wouldn't stomach this one if Biden would just say, no, I don't support this. But I do think there is a strong sense among the Biden camp that they don't want to let President Trump just sort of put random ideas yeah. on the table and yeah. then they are, have, are forced to respond it and being put. Senator Durbin, did the fact that Vice President Biden used the phrase court packing, was that a tell of where the vice well, president stands on this, that, that he doesn't want to see this happen? Well, I can, I, I can tell you that uh, we're getting this question. It's a common question being asked because American people have watched the Republicans pack in the court over the last three and a half years, and they brag about it. They've taken every vacancy and filled it. 
Did you know that they've sent us, and we have approved only with their votes, I might add, uh, 10 people who have been, been judged unanimously unqualified by the American Bar Association? Do you know how many judicial nominees came from Obama who were judged unanimously unqualified? None. So we are dealing with people on the court, packed into the court, with little or no qualification, uh, who are going to be there for a long time. So it's understandable. The Republicans raised the issue of court packing. Senator, though, the lack of answering this question sounds like as if the Democrats are trying to game the results here and just trying to see what happens and that it, in some ways it may be that it comes across as a negotiating tool with trying to maybe convince a handful of Senate Republicans to delay these confirmation hearings. Is that what this is? Is this a negotiating ploy? It is not a negotiating point. We are dealing with the reality. A lifetime appointment to the highest court in the land. McConnell has changed the rules for the Republican senators. We are running this through at a breakneck pace without the investigation that usually comes with these. Uh, and those are the issues. And what we're trying to drive home to the American people is this makes a difference in your life as to whether or not you have health insurance, whether or not with a pre-existing condition you can afford health insurance. And we believe that once the Republican voters across this country wake up to the reality of the strategy, mm -hmm. many of them are going to say to their senators, listen, this is not what we bargained for. We may be conservative, but we're not crazy. Our family needs health insurance protection. And when I hear Ted Cruz say, well, it, it really hinges on optimism. I don't know what polls he's looking at, but the ones I look at say three out of four Americans say this country's moving in the wrong direction. Two out of three say it's going to get worse. And why wouldn't they? With the antics of the president, the super spreader ba balcony scenes at the White House, dismissing the dangerous nature of this virus, uh, saying that he's been had a miracle cure but won't release the results of his testing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's understandable that people are skeptical of the Republican message and are, are fearful of what's going to happen if this Supreme Court nominee goes through and yeah. threatens their very health insurance. Very quickly, I want to ask. Meanwhile, the president's rival, Joe Biden, is now leading by 12 points nationally, according to our latest ABC News Washington Post poll. But Biden's still dodging questions on whether he'll pack the Supreme Court by adding more justices to the bench. The only court packing going on right now going on with Republicans packing the court now. It's not constitutional what they're doing. Well, come on, Joe. The American people deserve a straight answer. Let me ask a question to, about Joe Biden. He keeps dodging questions about whether he would support packing the Supreme Court. We saw this in Rachel Scott's piece. Is this issue a potential liability for him? I think it is, Dan, and it's not just that he won't answer the question, it's the clumsy way in which he says he won't answer the question. Uh, he said uh, in an interview yesterday, asked directly, don't the people have a right to know? And he said, no, voters don't have a right to know where he stands on this. And he also said uh, a couple of days ago uh, that uh, he will give an answer on this after the election. So it's, it's, it's very strange. This is a, a major issue. Uh, this is not a, a trivial issue, and he's saying he won't tell voters where he stands until after they have voted. I, I, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's very. Yeah, we're going to be long again today, so I'm just going to guise over this. This whole segment was just to show the left is so good with talking points. I mean, they're just so fucking good. How can they get away with this shit? I, I don't know. Uh, Jonathan Turley, Senator Chris Coons just told Chris Wallace on Fox that the Senate confirming ACB constitutes court packing. Ginsburg herself said 2016 the Senate had to do its job and vote. 
What concerns me is the Democrats are rationalizing a destructive act of retaliation as they retake the White House and Senate. Ginsburg also denounced the court packing as something that would decimate the court and its legitimacy. It is logically and constitutionally absurd to call the filling of vacancy on the court as a form of court packing. It does not increase the size of the court and does not complete conformity with the constitutional framework. To say that filling a vacancy on the Supreme Court is court packing is like saying that a Hail Mary pass at the end of a football game is an intentional grounding. But other than Tapper, briefly, have you heard anybody push back? Anybody. They're making it up. Tom Bevan With lightning speed, the AP adopts Democrat language on SCOTUS, adding members is now depoliticizing the court. Only critics referred to it as packing. I want you to understand something, folks. The only people who literally politicize the court are Democrats. They're the, oh, it's a right-linging. Oh, this would be 6-3 right. Oh, that's horrible. They have made it political. With fucking ACB and the last jackass, how they do these kabuki theaters. And, of course, Biden still, they don't deserve to know. They don't deserve to know, Biden says. None of their goddamn business. Biden also said, you you got to go out and make sure you vote because the only way we lose this is by chicanery going on Relative to polling places. Biden and Erie PA. The only way we lose this is by chicanery. Joe Biden and Joe Biden speak on the need to vote and vote overwhelmingly to make sure the country is able to heal and unite again. The only way we lose is chicanery. Joe Biden just now in Erie. The only way we lose is chicanery. Pot is on the phone with Kettle right now. Who's the chicanery? And when you break down their events, because this goes back to... I don't understand these polls. I don't know how you could tell me these polls are so 13 points on CNN and Fox. Seven on the RCP average. Warren campaign stop for Biden. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve people showed up. Kurt Schilster. Biden is 62 up in the polls. Is he still doing that train thing? 13 people. Because they counted her. 13. But yet we've had the rollout of McCain's wife doing an ad for him. This was all huge yesterday. Greta Thunberg endorses Biden. Entire world said, you know. Twitter. New York Times editorial board presses for plan if Trump tweets he won the election. Twitter levels the Trump rule. People on Twitter, including candidates for office, may not claim an election win before it is authoritatively called to determine the results of an election in the U.S. require either an announcement from state election officials or a public projection from at least two authoritative national news outlets that make independent election calls. Sean Davis had Twitter been around on election night 2000 it would have been censored you if you know that bush won in florida in fact never trailed in the state by any point despite multiple networks falsely claiming that gore won and calling the polls closed where they were still open in florida so who's doing the chicanery 
I mean, the chicanery right now is court packing. Chicanery. How does he get away with this shit? Oh, I know. Because he's fucking Biden. This is what this guy said. I'm going to play two Biden sound bites and one of his events with social distance cars. Cars. But it sure sounded like a Trump event. You know, we have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. Yeah, he's running for the Senate. And then he was talking to a reporter and said this. You may remember, I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon, the governor, okay? And I took him on. What the actual fuck? What the actual fuck? How can he say that Mormon guy? I mean, these people think we forget everything they did to get Obama elected. I mean, here's just a montage, a Chuck Todd flashback that's going to be preceded by Thomas Friedman running around saying what he's saying to try to make it a thing that nobody's going to do. You're going to hear CNN dump the president because they won't air a minute of anything he does. You will hear a reporter in 2020 pretty much saying, I shouldn't put this on the air because nobody showed up to a Biden event. Brian, we have a president without shame. We have a president without shame. And the engine is a president without shame. We cannot allow four more years of of a president President without without shame. shame. When you have a president... Without shame. shame. And when you have, when you have a president without shame, yeah. we have a we have a we have a president without shame. I've said this so many times, but I have to repeat it. We have a president without with sh- shame. We have a president without shame. That is so powerful. But Democrats smell blood and have already begun cutting ads hitting opponents for waiting until now to dump Trump. Where did you stand on Joe McCarthy? George Wallace? This is one of those moments. Like this one out today from Ohio Democrat Ted Strickland, who has fallen far behind Republican Senator Rob Portman. History will judge Rob Portman a coward. What will we do? The Republican National Committee silent so far, but outside its headquarters, a graphic display of the GOP divide at a small protest, a reference to Trump's 2005 comments about grabbing women's genitals. Better to grab one than be one. Each member, each candidate is running for him or herself, and that may include embracing Donald Trump or not embracing Donald Trump. Ryan's Republicans and Trump's, a coalition now crumbling. Everything he just said is absolutely false, but I'm not surprised. It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. Chuck, that raised a lot of eyebrows, not least because it it was redolent of, you know, what happens in Ukraine or Iraq or right. Banana Republics, where if you 
win an election, you lock up your opponent. Right. Only, only in a third world country and only in the uh, sort of the mind of some sort of movie writer of a third world uh, democracy if, or dictatorship would you have a candidate per publicly humiliate a former occupant of that office by parading all of uh, all of these other people around as well. It was sort of, it, it is and will remain now the single most surreal presidential debate in American. One, one, a therapist should answer the call. Oh, that all right, work. everybody, we're going to continue listening work. to this in the control no, booth. Uh, I don't believe the president is speaking 100 percent factually correct. Uh, he most of the time does not. So we're going to fact check a few things there. Uh, we should note that he was scheduled to come out at two o'clock. He came out early. I don't know whether that means he just couldn't wait to get out on the campaign trail and uh, have the cheering, uh, adoring fans there rooting for him there. Or if he wanted to get out there and get Get this event over with for fear of perhaps getting tired, because, in fact, the president has recently, as you know, been diagnosed with COVID-19. And as I bring in NBC's Josh Letterman to join me from the White House, um, Josh, the big question is, I mean, this president could be doing this event, getting it done, getting it out of the way because of fatigue potential. Right. Because there's no word yet on the president's test results. Why is that? I just want to thank everyone this afternoon. What beautiful colors. Where did you get that color, Candace? Where did that come from? That's what a beautiful color. I want to get one of them. I want to put one of them on instead of a white shirt. I want to thank you, though, seriously. Every day, more black and Latino Americans are leaving behind left-wing politicians and their families. All right, there you have the president there addressing a mostly black and brown uh, community of people there at that rally on the south lawn of the White House. And the president, perhaps a little bit of a departure from the language he has been using, that the virus would just simply go away. In this case, we just heard him say that science and medicine will help eradicate the virus. Uh, bottom line, still unclear whether the president is still contagious, whether what his latest numbers are, whether he has been tested and whether uh, he has tested negative after nine days uh, since his diagnosis for COVID-19. And now this is his first public event, inviting people to come to the White House. And from the images of the people standing in line earlier, very few wearing masks and in close proximity to one another, all defying guidelines uh, by the scientific and medical community on how to protect yourself in this pandemic. Let's talk. There's really not much to see. Um, I'll step out of the way, but it's kind of boring out here. So it's not your typical campaign, presidential campaign event. We don't see people rallying outside. We don't see um, signs or really much of what's going on. And I'm told by one of the Biden staffers, local staffers, is that they uh, kind of kept the details about the visit as far as the timing and the exact locations. And pretty much all uh, the people that we saw enter into the parking lot about 45 minutes ago, we're with uh, the Biden-Harris campaign and the uh, pool reporters. So you would expect to see, I mean, it, it, this is a pretty big event for um, the two of them to be campaigning together for the first time since the Democratic National Convention here in Arizona. We've established, our, our state has established itself as a battleground state. And so this is 
technically a big event, but not a lot of fanfare. So we're getting information about what's going on with these meetings from our uh, national course of correspondent pool reporters. But from out here, you really can't tell anything much is going on. Biden-Harris campaign not releasing a lot of details about where these events are taking place and exactly when. Like I said, you know, this is a huge event politically, but you can't tell by the outside of the Heard Museum. There's really not a lot going on here. Well, Ms. McCain spoke at the virtual Democratic National Convention recalling the relationship Biden and John McCain formed during the Senate during their Senate careers. She then formally endorsed Biden for president last month, praising his quote character and integrity. They're really showing themselves to do really well. Come on, man. Candidate and former Vice President Joe Biden finds himself in more hot water this week. Just confirmed, a Ukrainian court ordered Joe Biden to be formally listed in a criminal case. The crime? The alleged firing of Ukraine's former prosecutor general, Viktor Shokin, in exchange for dropping an investigation into Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and the company for which he was a board member, Burisma Oil. Shokin formally called for an investigation into his firing back in February of 2020, claiming the Ukrainian government at the time relieved Shokin of his post in exchange for $1 billion in loan guarantees promised by Biden a bribe Biden himself admitted to doing. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. But at the time Shokin called for this case back in February, the courts listed one of the defendants as an unnamed American, an individual widely understood to be Joe Biden, Obama's Ukraine point man. But Biden was never formally named. Now, the courts have ruled it is improper to conceal Biden's name and that there is sufficient evidence to proceed with an investigation. The ruling cannot be appealed. Another key development in this story is the release of a series of telephone conversations that has garnered major questions. Andrei Durkach, a member of parliament in Ukraine, in a press conference Tuesday released what he says appear to be voice recordings of then-Secretary of State John Kerry, Vice President Joe Biden, and then-President of Ukraine Poroshenko, discussing the Burisma case and discussing the removal of Viktor Shokin. Neither Kerry, Biden, nor Poroshenko have affirmed the verity of these recordings. The recordings appear to have been leaked from government officials and whistleblowers, but are currently being verified. Ukrainian President Zelensky stated he anticipates more developments over the course of the summer and says the case could qualify as high treason. Candidate Biden has yet to respond to this latest development. That last soundbite's true. He was, but you didn't hear it anywhere. They're not going to cover that shit. They're not going to cover anything. I mean, they're doing this kind of stuff through one of his surrogates. Late-term abortion is not a real thing. It's a conservative talking point. You had a governor say it live. AOC, just to be clear, there's nothing pro-life about denying people comprehensive sexual education, making birth control harder to access, forcing others to give birth against their will, and stripping them of health care. None of that's true. None of it. She's just making it up. New York Times asked her, literally any criticism of Kamala is racist and sexist. These characters and double standards have been accompanied by sexualization, common against women with all races, but especially those who are black. This is another racist trope. The promiscuous, hypersexualized Jezebel. Vanity Fair portrays New York congressmen as moderate, but skips 
impeachment vote because they're not talking about impeachment, period. It's like he wasn't impeached. You've heard nothing about impeachment. Nothing. This fucking shit. And it goes into our soundbite of the day, which I'm not going to play, but the soundbite bumper. These are rather long. There were parades in every blue city this weekend. Miami had 30,000 fucking people. LA had it. Chicago had it. Connecticut had it. There was no media and Spanish nets literally ignored it. Understand. This happened in LA and Hollywood and Glendale.
inside. Senator Durbin, did the fact that Vice President Biden used the phrase court packing, was that a tell of where the vice well, president stands on this, that, that he doesn't want to see this happen? Well, I can, I, I can tell you that uh, we're getting this question. It's a common question being asked because American people have watched the Republicans pack in the court over the last three and a half years, and they brag about it. They've taken every vacancy and filled it. Did you know that they've sent us, and we have approved only with their votes, I might add, uh, 10 people who have been, been judged unanimously unqualified by the American Bar Association? Do you know how many judicial nominees came from Obama who were judged unanimously unqualified? None. So we are dealing with people on the court, packed into the court, with little or no qualification, uh, who are going to be there for a long time. So it's understandable. The Republicans raised the issue of court packing. Senator, the, the lack of answering this question sounds like as if the Democrats are trying to game the results here and just trying to see what happens and that it, in some ways it may be that it comes across as a negotiating tool with trying to maybe convince a handful of Senate Republicans to delay these confirmation hearings. Is that what this is? Is this a negotiating ploy? It is not a negotiating point. We are dealing with the reality. A lifetime appointment to the highest court in the land. McConnell has, has changed the rules for the Republican senators. We are running this through at a breakneck pace without the investigation that usually comes with these. Uh, and those are the issues. And what we're trying to drive home to the American people is this makes a difference in your life as to whether or not you have health insurance, whether or not with a pre-existing condition you can afford health insurance. And we believe that once the Republican voters across this country wake up to the reality of the strategy, mm -hmm. many of them are going to say to their senators, listen, this is not what we bargained for. We may be conservative, but we're not crazy. Our family needs health insurance protection. And when I hear Ted Cruz say, well, it, it really hinges on optimism. I don't know what polls he's looking at, but the ones I look at say three out of four Americans say this country's moving in the wrong direction. Two out of three say it's going to get worse. And why wouldn't they? With the antics of the president, the super spreader ba balcony scenes at the White House, dismissing the dangerous nature of this virus, uh, saying that he's been had a miracle cure but won't release the results of his testing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's understandable that people are skeptical of the Republican message and are, are fearful of what's going to happen if this Supreme Court nominee goes through and yeah. threatens their very health insurance. Very quickly, I want to ask.
coverage they didn't cover it at all they literally just ignored it i mean i thought for sure there'd be something about hey yeah we got a we got a fucking bunch of fucking racist over here or or fascist closed down fucking a uh (laughs) highway or something i mean i expected something like that but i didn't hear it so let's go to this is america this is cnn yelling at a pence rep msnbc has the balls to call mike lee a communist the marxist people they want they want marxism and that gallup poll being spun by msdnc with old chuck todd we'll talk about that one on the backside. allison it's exactly why we did the contact tracing We did that through both the White House Medical Unit. We did an extra consultation with the director of the CDC, who all felt comfortable with the vice president moving forward. It's why he's tested every day. He's continued to test negative. So is he tested every day, Mark? Is not spreading. Is he tested every day? Yes, he is. Okay, when was President Trump last tested before his positive result? Allison, you'll have to you'll have to ask the president's team that. But why don't you know that, Mark? You are the chief of staff for the head of the coronavirus task force. I am the chief of staff for the vice president of the United States. I'm not privy to access to the president's medical records. You don't That's know the when the president was you. tested negative before his positive result. You do not I don't know. know. I don't know when there's a lot of people who are tested negative. I I'm know when the vice the president, president tested. Of the he's United tested States, each and every day. And, and I work for the vice president of the United States. He's tested each and every day, Allison. This tweet from Utah Senator Mike Lee on Thursday, where he tweeted out, we're not a democracy followed by democracy isn't the objective liberty peace and prosperity misspelled are we want the human condition to flourish 
Rank democracy can thwart that. Stewart, what in the entire... I can't, it, I can't curse on TV. What's going on? Look, that, I, I tweeted in response to that. That basically is sums up the position of the Communist Party in the Soviet Union for 75 years. Um, you don't need democracy uh, to help the people. I, I really... What's happening now in the Republican Party... It, it, when you're in the middle of something, it's always difficult to sort of really understand it. But it is a complete moral collapse of a party, unlike anything we've seen, I think, in American history. Um, it, strangely, I think the only thing you can compare it to is the collapse of the Communist Party in the Soviet Union. Where This issue of who's hopeful and who's fearful, this was fascinating in Pew. Your feelings on the state of the country, and they asked a general question, are you fearful or are you, or are you hopeful? What was interesting is while a majority of the country said they're fearful, Biden supporters, uh, Hallie Jackson, were more likely to be fearful. Seventy nine percent of Biden supporters call themselves fearful. Trump supporters call themselves hopeful. Sixty four percent. I will say this. Fear motivates. The Trump supporters were more fearful four years ago. And that worked. And you're starting to see that. And I'm struck by something that Senator Cruz said, Chuck, that he's been talking about, which is this idea that if fear does motivate, it's an acknowledgement from the senator that Democrats would likely do better. And it's because of those poll numbers that you're talking about, Chuck. So you're seeing Republicans trying to take that and spin it as Democrats are the ones painting this sort of dark and dystopian message to try to motivate Peter, people to come out to the polls. And, you know, in reality, some of the language and rhetoric that we've heard from President Trump, what he's been running on so far has been this message of law and order uh which his supporters appreciate, critics say, listen, you're talking about trying to scare, for example, suburban women and some of these key voting constituencies with, with the language that you're using and with the picture that you're painting. So I do think that is something that is going to be critical over the next couple of weeks. Well, I will say this, the, uh, political, uh, the political landscape, if it is a fearful landscape, we know that that usually is a greater motivator. But Hallie Jackson, here's what it struck me about this. You, you would assume the president had been told about this in his, in his uh, PDB. This is uh, not something you would keep from the president. The president had to have known about this probably for weeks. And he didn't even, there was no thought of calling her up, no thought of doing something like that. I mean, it just, it's, it, it, it seemed a very intentional decision that he wanted no part of this. And then when it got, when he didn't like what he heard, he went on the attack. Well, but Chuck, that's also part of a pattern from what we've seen from the president in instances like this before. Now, you, you have to remember, he is somebody, and this is what I hear all the time from people around the White House, in the White House, on the campaign, that the president has denounced white supremacy in the past. That is technically accurate. He certainly has done that. At the same time, he has done that when he has come under immense political pressure to do so. It is not something that in the past he has easily volunteered. And that is where critics are especially concerned about the president, president's rhetoric, his language on this. Mm. You have to remember, too, Chuck, that oftentimes the president uh, will will say he doesn't know about something um, until it is sort of the, the main headline that he's getting pummeled with questions about. And I think, too, what happened recently with the situation of yeah. Q, the QAnon conspiracy theory, for example, the Proud Boys, the president sort of said, as well, I'm not super clear on what that is, uh, even though the expectation is and the presumption is from people who understand these sorts of national security threats, because Hugh is right, this is this is terrorism, what happened, right. that the president would have been briefed about those things, Chuck. What's the left fearful of? Can anybody explain what they're fearful of? Because it's all lies. There's no reason for them to be fearful. They've been in charge of our fucking government as the minority party. 
Seriously. The minority party. They only have the House. But they've been able to pretty much dictate what our government's going to do. And get away with it. It's almost criminal, if you think about it, because all we heard under Obama was that they were obstructionists, ruining the progress of America. You know, elections have consequences. Remember that line? We heard it all the time. But now, no, we're we're cool with it. We we just let them do whatever the fuck they want. And they spin it. Of course, Chuck Todd being the fucking piece of shit that he is, he spun it as all that motivates people. Trump supporters are hopeful. Because I think deep down inside Trump supporters, if it goes the wrong way are really in for a very bad, bad awakening because if he loses, I don't think they really fully grasp how bad it's going to be for them because as we've gone over and over on the show, they want re-education camps. They want to put you in a fucking cage. You need to pay. Those are words our media says. And did you ever see CNN yell at any member of the Obama administration? Ever. No. Respect the office. They were friends. Coddled. So let's go through the worst things I've read this week. Are California serious about fighting systemic racism? Prop 16 will tell. And basically, it will completely destroy Orientals. Going to screw them terribly. But that wasn't, like, the worst. Why do fast casual restaurants get a pass on appropriation? Apple news so fast food is appropriation made up mexican dishes that don't fucking exist really then there's the new york times are straight people okay and other questions about love and sexuality in this is actual articles the tragedy of heterosexuality if the insight fallacy Chen cites is a mistaken belief that understanding a problem will solve it, straightness, Ward thinks, is perhaps the most misunderstood sexual orientation of all. The tragedy of heterosexuality wastes absolutely no time getting to the point. While many of the sentences, including the title, made me laugh out loud, it is a heart it is at heart a somber, urgent academic examination of the many ways in which Opposite sex coupling can hurt the very individual who cling to it the most. Ward distinguishes straightness as a practice of straight culture, which is the very heart of society's most disgraceful failures. 
It is not, as one powerful joke goes, that straight people are not okay. It is that heteronormative creative creates a powerful privileged form of sexuality against which historically and currently all other forms are compared. In examining the pressure to partner with the opposite gender, we find the extortions of capitalism, the misogyny of violence against women, and racist and xenophobic erasure of non-white families, and the homophobic hatred that pervades so much of everyday life. And what you just heard is Intersectionality Primer 101. One oh fucking one. Are you fucking shitting me? As my wife summed up very well. If everybody was gay, we'd cease as a race or as a species. We wouldn't exist anymore, you fucking moon maps. Raphael Del Arza. This track's experienced very well. White liberals are literally insane. Has a doctor or other healthcare provider ever told you that of a mental health conditions? White liberal, 46%. Has a doctor or a health professional ever told you of a mental health condition for Republicans? 20%. That sums up pretty well. A vinyl, a viral video that just came out. I can't make up my mind whether this is crazy or desperately sad. This is a prom dance in the age of global COVID scam. Society has held, entered self-destruction mode. The kids are forced to vote or to dance back to back. It's one of the saddest things ever. And understand our opening soundbite of Jim Acosta. If you paid attention when the L.A. Lakers won, there was a huge fucking mob burning fires. Nobody was wearing masks. But Jim Acosta in CNN this week, waiting for Trump rally outside Orlando, very few supporters wearing masks, including many senior citizens. Shame, shame, shame. And Stephen L. Miller. Jim, did you see the scene at Staples last night? Virus is over. At least for the left. Other things I read that were fucking horrible. Live PD was canceled, but in one Texas county, its twisted legacy lives on. The police ride-along show damaged the lives of people caught in the glare of its cameras and distorted policing in Williamson County. Why is that article coming out on NBC News? Who employs Dan Abrams? Oh, that's because they're talking about bringing her back again. In the spring where it will be totally watered down and they basically won't show anything because that would be bad to show (laughs) that fucking people who are supposedly victims of police violence are the ones instigating violence. James Wood gives us our last little nugget. Taylor Day on October 10th, Rick Wilson with Project Lincoln Dinner with Peter Zork. That pretty much sums up the credibility of these people. And then, because the Lincoln Project is so beloved by liberals, at least for now, 60-minute segment backfires as Lefty dragged them with screenshot of Rick Wilson's old racist tweets. 
Vic Bergen the fourth. The Rick Wilson, why didn't you bring your Confederate flag cooler to the 60 Minutes interview? Student V, okay, here are some of the things. I'm going to click on this because th- this is Rick Wilson, anti-Trump extraordinaire. Here, I'm going to play. Let's just do this live because I didn't download this because I really don't want to cover these dickheads. But we're going to do it. Here we go. And I'm going to quote, they're failed strategists who are doing this for the money. The easiest way in the world for a Republican strategist to make money right now is to shut up and say nice things about Donald Trump. So clearly we're in the wrong line of work. But they've also drawn fire from some on the left for their own role in creating the Republican politics they now decry. Do you bear any responsibility, you personally, for bringing the country to where it is? When I look at the party and I see what it's become, I think that I was naive about how deeply embedded the racism issue was in the party. Do you feel at all that you're making amends? In all politics, you can look back on things with, uh, with honor or regret or what have you. I think I'll look back on this. I think all of us will look back on this as something we did in the cause of the country. And I'm going to quote, they're failed strategists who These are doing fucking this for people the money. are failed These... strategists who are doing it for the money. And people tweeted all these fucking tweets, and I can't get the goddamn thing to pop up for some reason. It keeps going back to their video. Um, but this is just some of Rick Wilson's stuff. Is that all that's left, England, from we shall defend our island, whatever cost, to look away, dear, they're Muslims? Let me get this right. We're expected to constantly apologize for slavery, racism, American Indians, and disco. Muslims, nothing. The Muslim community is pissed at the FBI. Dear FBI, more please. William K. Wolfruff. I see no risk in saying Project Lincoln guys are running a grift and this is mainly for themselves. I see no risk in saying I don't trust them. I don't have to keep it to myself because they are attacking Trump. What? Will they quit the project because I don't trust them? Before you retweet the Lincoln Project's next snarky anti-Trump video, take a minute to sample these choice takes from one of its founders. In short, these guys love the GOP racist strategy and Trump, Trump was too loud with it. Once again, I'm reminding people that Wolfram's GOP strategist had a fucking Confederate flag cooler. And the reality is, these people are pieces of shit. They're just pieces of shit. There's no other way to, to say it. Schmidt ran McCain and fucking Palin's fucking Fuck. And yet the left says, oh, these are great guys because you hate Trump. What don't you understand? If you're a non-prog, they'll only like you during that time. The moment you open your fucking trowel and say anything about Biden, you're done. These people don't fucking like you. Understand, they fucking hate you. They will always hate you unless you become them. That's the left. They hate you. They think you're evil. They think you should be re-educated. That's these people. 
Yet I see people all the time coddling up and going, oh, I want to be with the cool kids. The cool kids are the people that think for themselves, have their own opinions, views, values, norms, based on your life story. Not on what Twitter or Facebook told you to fucking think today. Because if it's the left, by tomorrow, it'll change. It'll be 105 pronouns and a bitch ain't one. So before I do the closing credits and move on out, I got to play this soundbite. I don't know. I didn't know much about Meadows before I became chief of staff. But I think this is the most classic and best approach to deal with these petulant school kids, which are our media, when they try to mass shame him. Tell you what, let me do this. Let me pull this away. Yep, pull away. And then... That way I can take this off the top. Well, I'm more than 10 feet away. I'm not, well, I'm not going to talk to the rest. I'll be glad to answer your question. Good on them. Fuck those pieces of shit. You're 10 fucking feet away. It is so childish. You know, behind closed doors, they don't play any of this shit. It's all a political game. And these little fucking twats that represent the news media are a fucking embarrassment. They're just an embarrassment. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast at gmail.com. You get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play doesn't exist anymore iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down and Pocket Cast. Yeah, Google Play discontinued podcast because nobody was going there. Remember, check out our Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Our next podcast is going to be Saturday, 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 17 October, year of our Lord, 2020. For those that heard the bump on the second in second break, that was the intro song oh so long ago. I was going through old files and I found the Nine Inch Nails open source song me i'm not that he allowed people to redo and i always love that version it was on a uh technical website they use it as their landing page and it took me forever to find it um finally i hacked i think it was mozilla at the time i when i used to use firefox and i got rid of it after their we're gay and if you're a christian you're a piece of shit crap um i literally uh hacked the song and got it and i made that was our intro theme for the first hundred episodes i think so decided to make it a bumper so i like the song make sure you disconnect from all your devices don't give the yeah yeahs vote not for your life that is the stupidest fucking thing ever because regardless of who wins in november you're not going to lose your light life You'll lose some rights if you're conservative. You can bet that. You can bet your bippy on that. Especially if you're a gun owner, a Christian, you don't want to pay for other people's abortions, you don't want to lose your job to illegal aliens, you want you want representation, because we'll lose that, because if they court pack and get rid of the electoral and get rid of the filibuster, we're all fucked, just to say the least. Um, but vote so you execute your 
constitutional obligation, the way I look at it. We have brave men and women serving in armed forces that have gone all over the world to let people have the right to vote. Yet, roughly a little over a third of our country votes, other people don't. That's pretty sad. So get out and vote. I will talk about my voting experience on Saturday because I'm going tomorrow morning. I'm going to camp out at 7 a.m. It's going to be 40 degrees. I'm going to put on my thick coat and a stocking cap and get to voting. And uh, I will start the show with that next week. Once again, sorry for the cracking. Trying to get it fixed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I ordered another cable, hoping a shorter cable might fix it. I don't know. But... um. I thank you all for listening. The listings are way up. A lot more people in different areas. Columbus, Ohio blew this thing up this week. So thank you, whoever's there. And uh, tune back in Saturday for another show. As always, we end with violence. And I, I, tell I, you, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, be kidding. How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. So even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. Mm-hmm. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and our honoring our Constitution are are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels, that this isn't, they're not going to let up, and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And part of the challenge we have as a nation is that a significant swath of Americans still support Donald Trump. They support his vision of America, and that is rooted in racism. It is rooted in a desire for power at the expense of everyone who is black and brown. And so what we have in this problem is a, is a, is a spiritual kind of tyranny of the worst impulses, uh, you know, as uh, Dr. Meacham said, um, you, know, nar- you know, sort of weaponizing narcissism. That will send a shockwave through this country. And Donald Trump may not accept the results, but who gives a because the rest of the country will be forced to.
past the point where I'm ready to put these police in the fucking grave. I'm at the point where I want to burn the fucking White House down. I want to take it to the senators. I want to take it to the Congress. I want to take the fight to them. And at the end of the day, if they ain't going to hear us, we burn them the fuck down. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.